With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The nation's largest Latino civil rights organization is calling for an outside investigation into the death of a 21-year-old female soldier at Fort Hood in Texas. The Army says there are no signs of foul play surrounding the woman's death. Texas Public Radio's Jerry Clayton has more from San Antonio. Private Ana Basaldua Ruiz was found dead last Monday. Family members told Telemundo News her death appeared to be a suicide. They said she had been the target of unwanted sexual advances by a superior at Fort Hood. Ana Luisa Tapia of the League of United Latin American Citizens spoke at a news conference on Friday. Luleg is equally concerned over the reports from her family that their daughter was the target of repeated sexual harassment. Luleg demands an immediate full and transparent investigation into these claims. This investigation needs to start now and must be by an outside authority. Earlier in the day, Fort Hood's senior commander, General Sean Bernabe, addressed reporters. At this point in the investigation, there are no indications of foul play. CID is not ruling anything out and will investigate the circumstances leading up to Ana's death fully and completely. The case of Private Basaldua Ruiz has some parallels with the 2020 death of Army Specialist Vanessa Guillen. Guillen disappeared from Fort Hood after telling family she was being sexually harassed. Her body was found two and a half months later in a rural area 30 miles from the post. The soldier suspected in her killing took his own life shortly afterward. An independent review panel later found Fort Hood to be a permissive environment for sexual assault and sexual harassment and pointed out serious structural flaws in the Army's prevention program. The Guillen case triggered a national conversation about sexual violence in the military and legislation to change how it is handled. For NPR News, I'm Jerry Clayton in San Antonio. And for anyone experiencing thoughts of self-harm, the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline number is 988. Why haven't you learned anything? Almost half of America's public schools were down at least one teacher this school year. You can blame low pay and politics and pandemic burnout. NPR's Corey Turner and Lauren McGaughy visited a job fair in Mississippi where recruiters were seeking new teachers. I'm from Frisco, Texas. We're like busting out the seams. <laughs> so we're going everywhere to find good teachers. We have a lot of openings, math and some science. We have a shortage of math teachers. One language, special education, high school English. So we're looking for a music teacher. We have any Yeah, a little bit of everything. Corey Turner shadowed a recruiter for Jackson, Mississippi. Dr. Tommy Knowles Jr. used to teach high school science in Mississippi's capital city, Jackson. Now he's trying to convince a new generation of teachers to do the same. They have to kind of have that certain grit, that certain fight, like we say, uh, that dog in them, so to speak, where they are tenacious, you know, they fit us. Knowles is head of recruitment for Jackson Public Schools. And even before the pandemic, he had a tough job. On average, the district loses one in five teachers every year. It doesn't help that Mississippi ranks near the bottom in teacher pay, and Jackson is embroiled in a years-long water crisis. And then there's the city's poverty. 
it follows children to school in the form of trauma, disruptive behavior, and lower test scores. But Tommy Knowles is an optimist. And on this sunny March morning on the campus of Mississippi State, he's arrived early with a plan. Knowles wears a gray plaid jacket with a blue cloth flower in his lapel. In one hand, coffee. In the other, he pulls a suitcase full of job fair pamphlets and giveaway goodies. I have eight interviews set up this afternoon. <laughs> eight interviews? Eight interviews. My first one starts at 11.30. When he checks in, good morning. Good, morning. good news. Jackson's been given a table just inside the doors. Prime real estate. Even now, as the school year winds down, Jackson's schools still have 88 vacancies out of about 1,700 teaching positions. To give you a sense of the impact of just one vacancy, we're going to leave this ballroom for a minute and go to Jackson. At Forest Hill High School, home of the Patriots, Principal Tory Hampton walks fast with a walkie-talkie. He's winded when he shows me around. I ask, how hard has it been to find a qualified Spanish teacher? Still hard. Hadn't found one yet. And yet, Hampton's walking me to a classroom full of students taking Spanish too. So I had to do what's best for children and change the class, but through our online platform. That means when we get to the room, instead of hearing Spanish, we hear this. Smooth jazz plays through speakers at the front of the class while students sit at their desks, library quiet. This one is... They're trying to translate English phrases into Spanish through a computer program on their laptops. Wait, wait, what just happened? Um, I saw a big red X. <laughs> if you get it wrong, it gives you a chance to try again. How do you like this? I think it's all right. Like, I think it would be better if we actually had a teacher. For much the past decade, enrollment in teacher training programs dropped nationwide by roughly a third. With fewer new teachers in the traditional pipeline, Jackson has to compete more than ever with better-funded suburban districts. So back at that job fair, just listen to these pitches from the competition. We are an A-rated district. There are a lot of high expectations, and you know we are that A-rated school. We have a beach that most places don't have, so... Listen, let me talk about the town a little bit. Vicksburg is very close-knit. Western Line is family, so everyone really gets to know each other. You still got a little bit of shopping that you can do. All right, so we have our own health clinic for teachers that's free. We can reimburse them for if they go and work out. We have instructional coaches at every one of our campuses. We pay really well. Texas probably pays better than most. Next year, it should be about 60000 In Jackson, the starting salary is less than 44000 There's also those A ratings we just heard about, doled out by the state for things like student test scores and absentee rates. Well, all over this job fair, districts trumpet their A ratings on banners. Districts that haven't had to deal with the poverty or systemic racism that Jackson has. So I asked Tommy Knowles, Jackson's recruiter, does that bother him? I mean, I'm of the mindset that, hey, if, if you're A district, regardless of how you got it, you know, you're A, you know, promote that. Knowles proudly points out that Jackson's gone from an F rating just a few years ago to a high C. We're going to promote that we're a C, but one day just understand and know that our district is going to be right there with you. And we're going to be able to promote that we did it without all of the resources and without all of the affluence. Knowles faces one more challenge. Most of the candidates here are young white women, which reflects the teaching force nationwide. Jackson's students, on the other hand, are predominantly black after generations of white flight from the city. 
it takes more than 20 minutes for just one teacher candidate to stop at Knowles' table. Kiara Carr says she's hesitant to work in Jackson. It's kind of scary. I think that's why most people stray away from teaching there because of like what's been said on the news a lot. Knowles does get her attention, though, when he mentions the district is offering a signing bonus. Yeah, for elementary, we do 7500 that's that too. I should have led with that, huh? Yeah, you, you didn't say that. While the bonus helps, Nall says he wants teachers who want to work in Jackson. Later, a trio of promising candidates drop by Nall's table, including Sydney Bearden. More than ever, we need to show up and show out and show these kids, here I am dedicating my time to teach you and advocate for you. In the end, I ask Nalls, how would he rate this job fair? Yeah, I would say B, B plus. Not quite an A because they're not beating the table down trying to get to Jackson, but we're working on that part of it. But nice, solid fare, good traffic. Tommy Knowles packs up his pamphlets and keychains and readies himself for another job fair and another chance to make his case for the children of Jackson. Corey Turner, NPR News, Starkville, Mississippi. Because we all family. That's it, Jack. And fuck all that other shit because it don't mean nothing except about some cash. The sudden collapse of California-based Silicon Valley Bank has raised concerns over the health of the U.S. banking sector. A new study suggests that close to 190 other U.S. banks could face a similar fate if just half of their depositors withdraw their cash. This includes smaller, minority-owned community banks that support people of color in a way that bigger banks don't. Joining me now is Nicole Elam, president and CEO of the National Bankers Association that represents America's minority-owned financial institutions. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So I want to start with that big question. Does all this turmoil have an outsized impact on America's minority-owned banks? Absolutely. The bank failures have led to deposit flight as we're seeing customers withdraw their funds and take it to banks that uh, the public taught them or actually the government taught them in 2008 are too big to fail. And so Mm. we are spending a lot of time educating customers that their money is safe with minority banks. In fact, 98% of all deposit accounts at minority banks are under $250,000 and thus fully FDIC insured. But we're seeing a lot of deposit flight. And a lot of these minority-owned banks are the smaller banks that are more fearful now that people will pull their money to go to the bigger institutions. Absolutely. The average asset size of a minority bank is under $400 million. So these are the smallest of the small banks. But these are also the banks that have an outsized impact in the community. Minority banks are located in communities that are 77% minority. Compare that to all other banks, which are located in communities that are only 31% minority. So they are significant providers of mortgages and small business loans in the communities that they sit in and serve. And if you could just talk about what's so important about securing the health of minority-owned banks so they can exist, continue to exist, especially as it relates to what they offer to people of color compared to the big financial institutions and the history of how they've treated people of color, especially black people. That's a great question. So minority banks were actually born out of racism because black, brown and immigrant communities could not go to mainstream financial institutions for their banking services. The reality of it is, is that a 100 years later, data continues to show that these banks are significant providers of mortgages and small business loans. If you are black, brown or immigrant, you are more likely to have access to financial services. You are more likely to get approved for a mortgage, more likely to get approved for a small business loan if you have a minority bank brand. 
branch sitting in your community. And so these are the ones that were pushing out PPP loans during the pandemic. They're the ones that have been providing access to financial services. They're the ones saying yes when other banks are saying no to these underserved communities. But even before this turmoil started, the number of Black-owned banks specifically have been declining over the last two decades. Why is that? Why is that happening? A lot of it has to do with these banks being historically undercapitalized. At its peak, there were 134 black banks. Today, there are only 21. The reason why is because these banks don't have access to the same capital markets as larger mainstream financial institutions. So whenever there is an economic downturn, these banks are hit hard, oftentimes hit hard like the communities that they serve. So they're Mm -hmm. forced to close. What's been different, though, is that uh, over the last three years, you have seen the public, private, and philanthropic sector infuse huge amounts of capital into these banks in this post-pandemic, post-George Floyd environment, as they have realized that these banks are key to helping to close the wealth gap. And so you've seen black banks in particular grow in asset size by 56% in the last three years. Have you seen 4 to $5 billion flow into these banks? So right now in this moment of turmoil and uncertainty, what would you like the Biden administration to do to ensure that smaller community banks are safe for depositors? Two things. I would like them to reinstate full deposit insurance coverage for depositors for the next one to two years. I think that will restore public confidence in the banking system, and it will also level the playing field. Because what's happened is that the government has created this two-tier banking system, that there are banks that are too big to fail, and everyone else. Nicole Elam, president and CEO of the National Bankers Association. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Everybody's like, jails ain't tough enough. Jails ain't tough enough. When Yosko Asanov got hired as a correctional officer at Windsor's Provincial Jail, he felt like he had arrived. Soon, though, he found himself the target of racial discrimination. He filed a formal grievance, a process that has claimed nearly six years of his life. Asanov says it's been more destructive than the events that led to his complaint. His fight ended in a settlement, but it also took him to dark places. This is the story about how he survived. Here's CBC Windsor's Sonia Varma. Chronic fatigue, loss of appetite, insomnia, suicidal thoughts. They sound like scary side effects listed off in pharmaceutical commercials. But for Yosko Asinov, it was the result of a near six-year ordeal fighting his employer, the province of Ontario. Yosko was working as a correctional officer at Windsor's Southwest Detention Centre. After two years on the job, he filed a formal grievance citing racism and harassment. It was November 2016. He thought this process would help him. Instead, it pushed him to the edge. Yosko remembers driving on a rainy night. And it was that day that I started driving and I was going up, uh, um, like, just driving on the highway and then going up a bridge. And I just started thinking about, like, you know, ending it all and just breaking down crying and contemplating, like, going off this bridge. Yeah. To understand Yosko's story, we have to go back to 2014. March of that year, he was hired at the Windsor Jail as a correctional officer, his dream job. So I get the job, um, quickly move up into a couple different roles, uh, hostage negotiations and uh, rehabilitation officer. I got a chance to work as a correctional officer and recreation officer where I got to run a lot of different uh, rec therapy programs with, uh, with the offenders in the facility, loving my job. Uh, but then all of a sudden I started noticing that there's all kinds of issues uh, in terms of like racism issues. 
The more I began to notice, the more I began to speak to different sergeants, different managers, reporting things. Um, by the end of it, by the end of the next two and a half years, I'd reported to 16 different managers what was going on. Everything in terms of sexual harassment to my female colleagues, racism that was going on towards other people, racism towards some of the offenders, things like being called racial slurs, the N-word. So I began to report it, but I just realized I was running into roadblocks. Everybody would just shrug their shoulders and say, that's just how it is. Or just say, report it to the next person and just kind of like passing the buck. Yoska wasn't just calling out management, but some of his fellow officers, staff protected by the same union as his. He didn't know it at the time, but he was breaking an unwritten rule. Right away, in that type of subculture, you're looked at as, you know, quote unquote, snitch or a rat. And you're breaching that that silent code of silence. You're not supposed to re- report on each other. Even if it's something really, really bad, you're not supposed to technically report on each other. So once I started doing that, that's when I started being called a monkey, a terrorist. Uh, that's when like a lot of the racial stuff started happening. And that's when I began to be more um, kind of targeted. That's when Yosko filed his formal grievance against the institution. As a relatively new recruit, it was the last thing he wanted to do. He felt pressure from all sides to drop it. First, the union lost his grievance. Later, others would refuse to sign documents. Others wouldn't show up at hearings. The months dragged on. Literally just torment. The only thing I can I can compare it to, and uh, I don't take this lightly with making this comparison, but it's like being a prisoner of war, being like in a cell. Um, this whole situation, they keep you in this grievance where they're in complete control. Uh, the unit is not helping you. Uh, it's one wall after another. It's one barrier after another. It wasn't easy to watch somebody you care about go through all of that. You could hear it in his voice like somebody's struggling, right? Mike Robachevsky has been Yosko's friend since high school. They spoke almost every day as the grievance process dragged on. Robachevsky is a firefighter in Waterloo, their hometown. He says he couldn't believe his friend had to struggle so hard and for so long to have his discrimination complaint handled. I was stunned to see that this kind of stuff was going on in like a, a workplace. But then I was also stunned to see how it was dealt with because from my experience where I work, that stuff would have never flown. Never. It would have been handled so fast and people responsible would have been gone so fast. Like, you would have even been able to blink. And to see how it was for him, I was like, are you even in the same country? You know, I could not believe. Meanwhile, Yosko was spiraling. He says he fell into a deep, dark depression. He was diagnosed with anxiety. He couldn't work. He went on stress leave. He lost his savings. He lost his purpose. He thought of suicide. It really pained me. It was uh, probably the worst pain that I've ever gone through because I was lost. I didn't know, what do I do now? I went into this career and uh, where do I go? What do I do? And why is it like this? Like, this is so unjust. It's close friends like Mike Rovachevsky and Selena, the woman he would marry, that helped get him through. When Yosko met her, he was so steeped in the grievance process. That's all he talked about on their first date. Not necessarily the best thing to bring up on a first date, right? Like, I'm out of a job, but you accept me? (laughs) I'm on a sick leave and here's my trauma. What do you think? (laughs) I mean, I think it was like a six hour long date. 
where he tried to explain absolutely everything to me. It, it was a lot <laughs> for sure. So how did you not like run out the door? <laughs> um, I think with Yosko, I think the biggest thing with him, and I think a lot of people can see it too. It wasn't, it's not just me. Like his grievance wasn't quite just about him. It was about helping other people. And that's how he, that's who he is as a person. Um, he wanted to share his experiences, but also push back on what, whatever happened to him there. Selena was his rock. For every grievance hearing, she showed up. What also helped was speaking up. Yosko estimates he must have written 5,000 emails to managers, deputy ministers, ministers, with barely a response. He spoke at workshops and conferences. And then he took his story to the airwaves. My name is Yosko Senov. I'm a former correctional officer who has worked in maximum security jails. Yosko was certain he wasn't alone, that the problems he faced were systemic. So he launched a podcast called Duty to Report. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Duty to Report. This is episode 12 with your host and producer of the podcast, Yosko Seno. The episodes mean to pull back the curtain on the correctional system. It led to other officers and staff reaching out to Yosko to tell their stories. Today, I will be holding a panel of both past and present correctional officers and a former manager. I first met Yosko in 2017. It was still the early months of his grievance. He wanted to share what was happening at Windsor Southwest Detention Center with the media, and he convinced a few other staff to come forward to share their concerns of a dysfunctional and discriminatory workplace. Over the years, we kept in touch. It was clear his discrimination grievance was taking a toll. I often wondered why he didn't give up. Maybe it's because his family of Roma descent left Bulgaria for Canada, expecting better here. Maybe it was a sense of duty that if you see something wrong, report it. <laughs> Maybe it's because during his six-year ordeal, he became a dad, and he wanted a more just world for his daughter. Whatever the reason, it's just not in his DNA to walk away. Whatever the finish line was going to be, I knew he was going to reach it. I just wasn't sure as to what the outcome would be. But as far as reaching the finish line, I knew he'll get there one way or another. I mean, once this whole thing started rolling, I don't know Yosko to be a person that would kind of like stand down, I guess, especially when it has something to do with, you know, like what he was trying to do, which is, you know, get justice for, for himself. Last year, vindication. After six long, demoralizing, and destructive years, Yosko's grievance was settled. The terms of the settlement between him, his union, and the province of Ontario are confidential. But one thing Yosko made sure of is that he can still talk about what he went through. He's sure that speaking out will eventually force change. I think about this quite often. I think that things are going to change. Corrections is now going to know that there are officers who actually have integrity. There are officers who actually will step aside and go the extra length for six years to battle the system to show that, yes, these issues do exist. You know, yes, it's a settlement, but what that settlement shows is that there are people willing to actually fight all the way through to make sure that they prove that these things actually exist. I think, like, officers are also encouraged by that. Other people will also be encouraged by knowing, okay, there is, there is a win in this. There is a way to actually do this and win. You know, it's not an easy one, obviously, and I certainly hope that other people don't have to go through six years and go through all of these things. But I think it kind of sets the standard. It's like a it's like a link to a chain, and I think I've started that link. Baby, mommy, daddy. Oh, 
Yosko says he's in a good place now. He recently went through a 12-week program for PTSD. He plans to go back to school, find a new career. He's got a new episode of his podcast coming out, and he plans to write a book about his experience fighting discrimination at Windsor's jail. A roadmap of sorts for anyone else who finds himself stuck in the grievance process. Yosko won't stop speaking out to make things better, because he expects it'll be some time before corrections is corrected. Wait a minute! Did my cousin live in Seattle? And did my cousin tell me that Seattle was one of the more racist places in America? Is that true or no? Move at eleven. A trailblazing and highly revered Seattle detective has filed a $10 million tort claim against the Seattle Police Department. The attorney for SPD detective Denise Cookie Bolden claims she's been subjected to discrimination, harassment, and a hostile work environment during her 43-year career. The claim alleges the department has questioned her about whether her loyalty is to SPD or to her South Precinct community. The real main thrust of this is that the city needs to pay attention and that the city needs to make authentic changes in terms of how they treat their black officers. Como reached out to the Seattle Police Department tonight for a response, but referred us to the city attorney's office for a comment on the claim. We're waiting for that response, and of course, we will bring that to you as soon as we get it. When you're a cop, you can torment freely and see me valley, then seize the Audi, then being proudly, turn a routine traffic stop to your season finale when you're a cop. San Diego police have released almost 100 records of officer misconduct, but a third are missing what discipline the officers received. Reporter Gustavo Solis tells us about the impacts that could have. A warning, the story contains graphic sounds. In 2019, the San Diego Police Department's procedure for a carotid restraint was that they should be applied no longer than 15 seconds. In December of that year, Officer Dylan Fuston held one for 38 seconds. Police body camera shows another officer telling Fuston to stop, but he kept going. Go ahead, go ahead, let him go, let him go. He's... Go ahead, let him, let him go. The man he stopped doesn't know why officers want him in handcuffs. Fuston doesn't introduce himself or tell the man why they want to question him. Stay right there. Stay right there. Turn around. Turn around. Turn According to police documents, the man tried to headbutt Fuston. Internal affairs investigators said that Fuston's chokehold created a substantial risk for bodily injury. But we don't know if Fuston was disciplined at all. Earlier this year, the San Diego Police Department made 93 misconduct cases available to the public. Every case was investigated by internal affairs, and investigators concluded that officers did something wrong. But one-third of those cases, including Fuston's, don't have any disciplinary records. That doesn't actually mean that these officers were not disciplined. It just means we don't have the records. There are multiple reasons why the public doesn't have access to those records. Retired La Mesa police captain Dan Willis says that there may not be a paper trail because the punishment was not severe. That's the most reasonable explanation is it was less than formal they handled. Like maybe the guy had to take a class. Maybe he had to do some different training. Maybe, uh, um... You know, he just got scolded by the lieutenant, you know, and maybe there's a little infraction notice in his file. San Diego police captain Jeff Jordan oversees the records department. He didn't make anyone available for an interview, but he did respond to questions via email. Jordan says that the police department has different retention periods for different disciplinary actions. For example, the department keeps written warning for two years before deleting them. 
That explains missing discipline records for older cases, but not for newer ones. David Loy is the legal director for the First Amendment Coalition. He says another reason for missing records is that officers quit or retired before they got in trouble. Historically, that has been somewhat of a common loophole where officers might resign to avoid a finding or avoid some you know, disciplinary sanction. Whatever the reason for the missing discipline, we know that Fuston left the force in 2022 and now works for the Sheriff's Department. It's unclear why he left and what, if any, disciplinary records the Sheriff's Department had access to. They say they check personnel files and history from previous employers. This lack of accountability creates tension between the San Diego Police Department and communities of color. Abraham Jarvis has several open complaints against SDPD officers. He's only 18 years old and has already lost count of how many times he's been pulled over. I'll say like approximately like, like 14 to 15 times. It's gotten to the point that he's afraid to drive. I would take the freeway just, just to go get my little brother from my auntie's house because I didn't want to take the roads where, where they could pull me over, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, overall, it's been, it's, it's been tough. His mother, Evelia Jarvis, doesn't think the department is taking their complaints seriously. She also believes that her son would be safer from the police outside of San Diego. So Abraham is going to join the army. When we discussed that, I just felt... <laughs> Yeah, I felt it was going to be safer to just get out of Southeast San Diego. Jarvis says it was a difficult decision to make. Um, of course, no one wants to see their child leave, you know, but I'm like, this is going to benefit my child. And just the fear, the fear of just knowing that anytime he's out and about, they can do anything and get away with it and ask questions later. And it is what it is, you know, and that's it. There's, they don't get a consequence. She's always respected the police. But their treatment of her son has changed that. She says now she respects the ones who are doing their job, not the ones harassing her child. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. Employers in New England have a lot of jobs to fill, but they don't have enough applicants. Almost all businesses, including those paying minimum wage, require people to apply online. And as New England Public Media's Nancy Cohen reports, employers might be missing out on people who don't have the digital know-how to apply. 29 employers perch, ready, sitting behind tables at a job fair at Greenfield Community College. One has five positions to fill, another 50. With a labor shortage, people applying for jobs should be in the driver's seat, but that hasn't been the case for Jesse Morrison. It's a challenge. <laughs> That's all I can say, doing the stuff online. doesn't always go smooth. Morrison, from Vernon, Vermont, spent more than half of his 51 years driving a propane truck. He he wants to work. He has a computer and internet, but got stuck at first uploading a job application. One said it had to be in a P PDF form, you know, when you tried to upload it and, and it just, you know, and you're like, what is that? You know, what kind of paper is that? But it kept saying, oh, wouldn't do it because it wasn't one. Pershing Reed from Orange is also here hoping to find work. He's 72, drove an MBTA bus in Boston, and is looking for a job driving a van or a bus. Well, I went to the site, and I seen the site of the company, but it just it didn't tell me how to get on. Because it didn't tell me how to get on, I couldn't apply. Reed even visited the company in person, but they just sent him back to their website. 
Crystal Fish is an HR manager at another company, Mativ, a plastics manufacturer in Greenfield with 15 open positions. She says if an applicant is having problems, she'd be happy to help them out, but... We haven't had anybody that's had problems applying to our website, or at least not that we've been made aware of. In fact, most recruiters at this job fair say they haven't even heard of the problem. But Maura Geary, who organized the fair, knows it well. She heads up the Franklin Hampshire Career Center. Some people truly can't access the online application itself, so they need to be walked through the online application. Geary's staff includes a digital navigator who offers job seekers three one-hour lessons on basics like setting up an email account and uploading a resume. If there's a virtual interview, which a lot of first interviews are virtual, we do trainings to get them up to speed on all of the different workforce tools that are necessary to get a job. And some, of course, also lack the digital skills to do the job. In the last couple of years, the Career Center has given away 592 Chromebooks, and if a job seeker can't afford internet access, the center will help them apply for a federal program that can help pay for it. Compared to the rest of the state, Franklin and Hampshire counties have more job seekers with disabilities, and slightly more who are 55 or over, some of whom, Geary says, face digital challenges. We definitely work with mature workers who face technology barriers and also some ageism, frankly, in their search for new careers. Besides older adults, the digital divide disproportionately affects people with some disabilities, lower incomes, less education, or those who are English language learners, along with people who live in a place that lacks internet infrastructure. And in Western Mass, according to the U.S. Census, Hampton County has the biggest percentage of households without a computer. These digital barriers came to a head about three years ago when a new verb entered the national lexicon to Zoom. We're locked in, locked down. If I'm having trouble connecting, what about our consumers, residents, patients? How are they connecting to services? That's Frank Robinson, a VP at Bay State Health. His concern wasn't just about patients needing medical appointments. How do you get food? How do you get in those days, protective equipment, all that stuff was online. And if people weren't connected online, they were just outside of any kind of protections. He says the people most affected had experienced disparities before the pandemic. Black, brown, folks living with disabilities, older adults would be also having problems because they already experienced significant inequities. Being connected and literate in digital tools is what Robinson calls a civil right and a human right. If you don't have that level of proficiency, then you can't fully participate in society. In the summer of 2020, Robinson convened a meeting of concerned groups in Western Mass. Now, 30 organizations strong, they call themselves the Alliance for Digital Equity. They include library schools and at least one affordable housing provider. It's Tuesday night. About 10 students are finishing their second computer course offered by Wayfinders in Holyoke. Tonight, the topic is finances and digital tools that help people budget. 58-year-old Jose Angel Hernandez says before he took the first course, he tried to submit job applications using his phone. Primeramente, no tenía la computadora. 
trataba de hacerlo en el celular, pero era imposible porque no veo. It was hard to see, a common problem for job seekers whose only device is a phone. As part of the course, Wayfinders gave each student a Chromebook. Hernandez is practically hugging his. Siete mía. Hernandez took his first computer course last summer. By November, he had submitted a job application online. I got the job. And you look so happy. Yes, because I love this job. I like to help. I love it. He works at an office for WIC, the food program for women, infants, and children. Not only that, but now he says he can shop, pay his bills, check his bank account online, and have telehealth appointments with his mother's doctor. And now he has email. Y me di cuenta de lo importante que era para mí, porque esto te abre la mente, te abre los ojos. Hernandez says using a computer has helped him discover the world. His classmate, 59-year-old Grisel Monserrate, says having digital skills makes her feel sure of herself. Monserrate takes care of her mother, who has Alzheimer's, and she runs a support group for other Spanish-speaking caregivers. Her new computer skills allow her to do so much more for the group. She's happy to be able to use the Internet to help others, and she hopes to use these skills to start a daycare for children in her home. For the New England News Collaborative, I'm Nancy Cohen. You're listening to GBH's Morning Edition. from a picket line where members of LAUSD's service union and their supporters are on strike today. The service union includes bus drivers, custodians, special ed assistants, and other school staff. The teachers union joined them in solidarity. And that means no school for more than 400,000 LAUSD students for the next three days. The service employees union is calling for higher pay and more full-time work for part-time employees. At a news conference yesterday, LAUSD Superintendent Alberto Carvalho said he had hoped to avoid a strike and come to an agreement with union officials. Despite our invitation for a transparent, honest conversation that perhaps would result uh, in a meaningful solution that would avoid a strike, uh, we were never able to be in the same room or at the same table uh, to address these issues. In response, the executive director of the local service union, Max Arias, accused the district of negotiating in bad faith. He said the district needs to meet the union's demand of a 30% pay raise before negotiations can resume. After nearly a year of bargaining, LAUSD has refused to offer wages that raise workers above the poverty line. We are on strike today because it's workers' last resort. The union has been working without a contract since June of 2020. Some parents are standing with the service workers in support of the strike, like Yasmin Aravalo, who has a fourth grader at Gates Elementary in Lincoln Heights. Because if you treat your workers right, then they're going to want to come to work, even given extra 
excellent job and treat your children even much more better. But some other LAUSD parents like Remy Lewis do not support the strike. His children attend Hale Charter School in Woodland Hills, and he says this strike has put his family in a difficult position. We have a very advanced 14-year-old daughter, but unfortunately our 12-year-old daughter is special needs. Um, they're home. They're home alone. He says the strike ultimately hurts students. Do we support the strike? I won't even answer that question. It's more of do we support the education of the children, and that's what we support. Let's hear now from one of the union members who's on strike today. Yvette Asensio is a special education assistant teacher at Winnetka Elementary in the San Fernando Valley. Welcome to Press Play. Hello. So I understand you were on the picket line this morning. What was that experience like for you? Uh, it's raining, so it's cold. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it's different because this is the first, you know, we joined the teachers in 2019. But it's different when it's yours. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're all in the same boat. Everybody's living paycheck to paycheck. The economy isn't getting better, but we're still at the same place we've been since day one. Well, describe your personal situation. How much do you make? What your job entails and, and just what your day-to-day experience is like? My job starts at 740. I work 740 to 210 every day. I first get the kids off the bus which are some of our special ed children that ride the bus. From there, I end up taking everybody to their lines. Some children bite, some children run, some children, you know, they all have special needs. Mm -hmm. We get into the classroom where we're greeted by 16 kids, which is over the amount that we should have, the teacher and I. I'm her baseline, which is considered the main assistant in the classroom. Now there's an other assistant in the room that we just recently had the honor of having in the room because it was just the teacher and I for the last eight years. But our numbers keep on getting higher and higher and we don't have the help we need. We have third, fourth, and fifth grade students in our class and they all want them to be performing at grade level. And that's impossible because some of our kids don't know how to even read or write. And you say you have 16 kids in the classroom. What is the limit? What is the number supposed to be? We're actually supposed to be at 12. Uh-huh. So we're, we're over. When I started 32 years ago, this was a prime job to start with. I started earning $5.70 an hour. And I thought it was great because back then, you know, the minimum wage was, was $5. So you would go up in the pay scale really quick. And I was like, wow, I'm making more than the people that are on minimum wage. But as the years progress, the load got heavier and the pay stayed the same. Last year, I made $37,000 for the year. 37000 37000 That's what I made. That's what I for took home. For a full-time job. For a full-time job, which is considered, many people tell us, you don't work hard at your job. I said, I spend more time with the children in our class than many of their parents do because we have them 30 hours a week. So... You know, it's a give and take. Um, when I started 30, 30 some years ago, 30 plus years ago, I never thought that I would need a second job. And I always had a second job until 2015. And that's when I had a stroke on site in one of the classrooms there at school. And from that point on, everything changed because I could no longer have that second job. Mm. So I'm back like everybody else living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, wondering 
how it's going to be. Right. And so, so you made the painful decision to go and strike because you're not being paid for these three days, correct? Oh, and it will hurt me. That check that's coming at the beginning of next month, it's going to show. But I had to take this stand because enough is enough. You know, we always get told, well, you don't do any, anything in the classroom because you're not the teacher. And what they don't realize is that we do work just as hard as a teacher. Many teachers know we work hard. My teacher that I work for, she's wonderful. She's great. Every decision she makes in the classroom, she always brings me on board and says, what do you think? Because she knows that it's going to affect me. Because if she says yes, I'm right behind her, helping her pick up the slack. That's what it is. And so what do you say to accusations from the district, from, from Carvalho himself, and from some parents that the strike is hurting students who are already suffering from pandemic-related learning loss, uh, maybe also hurting their families, many of whom, like you, are working paycheck to paycheck and can't afford daycare or can't bring their children to work? Um, there's a lot to say there because we, as a community need to realize that a lot of the education begins at home. And I think we're lacking that. Um, when our children came back from the pandemic, they came back different children. Before the pandemic, they were more independent. Now they're very dependent on everybody. And then we have our superintendent who wants to make excuse after excuse why he can't, you know, release some of the money. We're not putting a dollar figure on our children that we have in the classroom. I know because I'm a grandmother also. And, you know, I still have a couple of grandchildren who attend LAUSD schools. So I'm right behind. I'm on both sides. What I don't agree upon is when people make certain salaries, you know, maybe I'll pick a pick if I'm making too much because I want to help the person who's next to me. Whatever happened to helping our, our fellow man, that's what I, what I really would like to to get the point across because nobody helps each other out. It's always, everybody's a me, me, me. We became a me generation mm -hmm. instead of helping people out. And I think that our kids are learning from that. And so the union wants a 30% average salary increase. Is that what you would like? I'd like something because I'll be honest with you. I have family who works in Clark County school district and they do the same thing I do. And they're bringing home $48,000 a year. And that's in Nevada? That's in Nevada, Clark County. Yeah. So I'd like a change. Teachers, they are working hard. Carvalho is making everything come down on the administrators. Administrators are making everything come down on the teachers. And the teachers are saying, what are we supposed to do? We can only teach so much. And I'm seeing it. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of them are leaving. They're leaving. We're having good, good teachers leave. LAUSD and go do other jobs, not teach anymore. That's sad. Is that something you would consider doing? At this point, I'm almost to retirement. So it would be foolish for me to leave yeah. because I'm almost there. But I can't seem this job hasn't been rewarding because it has been very rewarding. You know, I've seen a lot of children grow up and become parents and get married. And, and I'm still at the same school. I've been there for 16 years. And, you know, it is a good feeling. But you need to reward people in order for them to feel like they're, um, how can I put it to you? Valued. Yes. So if the teachers are unhappy, that trickles down to us, which we've been unhappy for many years because we, you know, we don't see a lot. We don't make a lot. 
We have a we have a good amount of of assistance. I know at least two assistants that live in their car from other schools. That's sad. Where are the resources for that? Where are the resources where they can get some housing? Everybody's worried about the homeless on the street. Well, let's worry about the person who's educating your child in the classroom. Ona, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I was happy to join you. That's Yvette Asensio, special education assistant teacher at Winnetka Elementary in the San Fernando Valley on strike for the next three days. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, March 24, 2023. So I have been told this is our weekly summit on neutralizing workplace racism. The number 605 313 Five one six four. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. The number again six zero five three one three five one six four. The code five six four. Nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Email is untiljustice at gmail dot com. Untiljustice at gmail dot com. That is easily one of the longer opening segments for neutralizing workplace racism in terms of audio reports. It could have been way, way longer. And in fact, I did contemplate making it substantially longer because there was one more audio segment that I thought should have been played today. It was lengthy, too. It was a chunky interview, 30 minutes, but half of it was about workplace racism. It may have been more important than all of the other reports that we just heard. Technology in the workplace 2025. Oh my, we had a report before where they were talking about having monitors and things to uh, register or to track when employees use the restroom, how long they're in the restroom, those sort of metrics and what have you, just to see if people are loafing, are you really working and what have you. What that technology looks like moving forward. Oh my, but we'll have to pick that one up another time. Uh, I've said for some time, I always value. I think it's supremely important. That's why I just gave out the number, email address, getting listener participation for neutralizing workplace racism. This is not for spectators. It is so important hearing uh, from victims of racism and what we experience in the workplace and talking about that and figuring out strategies to solve those problems on the job. That is so important. And I'll even emphasize that quickly before we get to callers. But man. All of us should be paying attention, not just paying attention to the news, but paying attention to labor and what is being reported, discussed in the workplace. Any sorts of changes. Certainly we've seen that with COVID-19 and how that can impact the workplace situation. But there are so many things happening. These bank failures and what have you just wow. Make some time. And even if you're just checking your industry, right? Like if you're a nurse, you got to be checking the nursing field all the time. My goodness. 
Same thing for educators, really anybody. Financial sector. Make sure you are checking the news for racism, white supremacy, and then specifically for the area of labor. Make Keep an eye out. What are they talking about? That's why I said even talk to people on your job as a part of your networking to see what is happening. Because, wow, it has been dynamic. Lots of change, especially the three years plus of COVID-19. Uh, just quickly, the first report that we heard, Alejandra Ruiz Zarco uh, killed under suspicious circumstances at Fort Hood. Uh, you put that right there. Folks talk about having young people and they come to you. Recruiter spoke to me. Should I think about a career in the armed services think about it like any other career what are the benefits what are the risks we know about Lavina Johnson I mean that's we do a report right so we research you know who that is Alejandra Ruiz Zarco Fort Hood down at San Antonio check this out how prevalent is this oh wow this has been increasing mm, that's something to think about males and females that's something to think about next report that we heard uh, the banks crashing now, they said minority banks, even though they in the report, they were talking about black banks, maybe some so-called brown banks, Latino owned banks. They kept saying minority, 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 non-white, be accurate with the use of terms. But man, there's no I keep saying that there's no such thing. If you're an entrepreneur, you're in business for yourself. That does not excuse you from the system of white supremacy racism. Not at all. And particularly, you can look at the last month or so of all this upheaval with the banking industry. And oh, my goodness, all of that. And now that has disrupted so many white entrepreneurs. You can only imagine. Non-white people. Uh, Let's see. The teacher shortage. They started in Jackson, Mississippi, and that one, they even gave us the reminder. They said Jackson, city with bad water, lots of black people, long history of white supremacy, racism, Medgar Evers and all. They go and set up, try and recruit more teachers. Of course, it's mostly white women. They got the Spanish two class, no Spanish teacher. I'm not surprised at all. And even that segment in the context where you have these teacher shortages where you have the likes of young academic black male and other folks who are excited motivated want to teach want to be educators they can't as they say get a foot in the door all these obstacles and you got teacher shortages across the country they said difficulties in getting more teachers probably some of what they talked about at the end is a part of that uh, let's see. They got them listening to the uh, audio, right? The program where they can translate English to Spanish. Now, I'm sure that's great, but I think they even said it would probably be better to have an actual teacher, qualified, competent Spanish teacher. Yes? See? See. Let's see. Um, oh, man. Iosko Azanov. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Non-white male in Canada, north of the border. He says he had a six-year workplace grievance. I don't even think that's the longest that I've heard, being truthful, over the years that we've had workplace racism. I think we heard one that was in Oregon that was 10-plus years, and it wasn't even resolved. I don't even remember what the excuse that they gave as to, you know, oh, we, we still got it in the hopper. We're working on it. We're working on it. 
we we're, we're burning the midnight oil, but we're gonna get it. Just give us maybe one more decade, and we'll we'll have it for you. Mr. Azanov in Canada, and he worked enforcement officer. He said he tried to report when they had sexism and making crude comments and mistreating other coworkers and things. And let's be better. Let's be just. Let's treat our coworkers correctly. Ah, got this old snitch. Like what? I'm reporting incorrect behavior. How am I a snitch? And I'm not even trying to get any sort of personal gain from this. I'm not telling you so that I can get a raise, extra bag of M&Ms or anything. I'm telling you so that we can, you know, have a healthier work environment. How am I a snitch? Snitch. Snitch. Said they started once he started reporting. They called him a snitch. A monkey. A terrorist. Like, whoa, whoa. Time out. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I get it. Raping Negro male. I got all that. But I mean, I'm reporting wrongdoing. How am I a terrorist? You got white people that go out and shoot and kill people left and right. Remember Luca Manana, since we're talking about Canada, he's killing non-white people and sending foots in the mail. They didn't call him a terrorist. How am I a terrorist and a snitch for reporting incorrect behavior? Blackmail privilege. And they lost his grievance. That was maybe part of why it took six years. They said he filed the paperwork. He came back. Oh, he like, no, 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 he got stuck. I don't, you know. Old janitor may have threw it away. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. You have to start all over again, brother. We'll we'll make sure we keep up with it next time. Make copies, duplicates of everything you file. Maybe even try and do it electronically if you can, so that you will at least have an electronic record and duplicates of everything that you have submitted. Lose the paperwork. That is a common one. Uh, we got Cookie Bolden here in Seattle, uh, enforcement officer, nicknamed Cookie, black female uh, enforcement officer. She said she worked here for 43 years. And they came and did the same thing, except they didn't call her a snitch. They just went and said, look here, are you going to be loyal to your brothers and sisters with a shield? Fellow officers in blue? Are you going to be loyal to your Negro community in Seattle? It's not even that many of them here. Like, dang, I thought protect and serve isn't that what they say we're peace officers we serve there dang we then i said that before they got the consent degree in here here in seattle we've had it for over a decade and that's still the conduct that you got and that's a fellow officer not a citizen like myself i expect to be a monkey and a coon but you got a fellow officer for 43 years my god why didn't she revered like Officer Bolden, 43 years. My goodness, let me get your autograph. I can't believe it. You've been here so long since you had the biggest desk, the nicest office. Nah. The I included the segment about the difficulty that some non-white people were having getting jobs because they are not skilled with a computer. We have had individuals call into the cows with that difficulty. That also is an indictment of the system of white supremacy where we don't even get, I mean, at this late date, it's almost 2025. And you have hordes of non-white people, really of all ages, who are not skilled, can't even just getting a resume. 
And that's not talking down anybody. I had to learn too, and it's not like I'm an expert at that. But dang, like that's you know they have templates and all of that. Uh, meaning where uh, they already have a model of what a resume should look like, and then you can just go and take that model and then just fill in your own uh, information, right? Or I don't know. I shouldn't say right, maybe because I guess or it's apparent many people are not aware of that, have not been taught that. That's also probably when you don't have adequate teachers who are not adequately paid compensated but that is so and like i said i've heard that before uh we've made efforts before we've had folks who are skilled with writing resumes and helping people uh improve their resume or just learning how to construct resumes that's another one that you can check your local library community college public library whatever it is frequently they will have um sessions to help you construct a resume they'll have someone come in and help you do it show you how to improve your resume if you already have it uh, they'll have programs uh, like that so you can be on the lookout uh, especially if you are uh, a young person especially if you're in college universities they have those type of sessions all the time you can get free help get all of that stuff done way before you even get to cap and gown stuff in a few months or years depending on where you are uh, the Last one, the strike had to include something, a three-day strike in L.A. We have so many educators right here. I mentioned Young Academic and Bay Area Mom right there in California, although she's not in SoCal. Uh, Z's mom, she is in SoCal, former teacher. Uh, they talked about so many non-white instructors who were on strike because they're making a pittance. Folk talking about folks having to live in their car. Now, that might be another one. White people do not care about children where you have teachers they spend more time with the children than the parents do, and they make so little they can't afford housing. They had a number of reports talking about that, where especially L.A., places like that and beyond. But, man, L.A., oh, my God, what kind of housing are you going to? That's exactly how you have educators sleeping in the car or whatever else because, wow, how am I going to make it on $37,000 full time? And that's a job where it's not like you can have a GED in most instances. You're requiring a degree, a four-year degree or more to get this job, and then that's all I get? Oh. White people do not care about children. They will come out and say, we invest so much more money in children and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. 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 Especially the special education non-white children. You invest so much. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anywho, way more that could have been played. That's just the short of it. Uh, I will include quickly for we nab folks who dialed in. It is so important having listener feedback. Just that report last week that we heard about Ashley Thompson. She's in North Carolina. She went to the Charlotte Art Institute and she could not pass her certification to be an art instructor in North Carolina. She got demoted to substitute teacher status and pay, which was like an $18,000 annual decrease in salary. We talked about this last week. Our caller in Georgia, she said, man, you go to school, you get a degree or what have you, like, man, you should be able to pass any sort of certification that you need. What's the point of paying all that money, investing all that time and study? If you can't even go out and, and succeed, accomplish what you need to in your field, what was the point of all that? Great question. So I went to look to see where she went to school. Art institutes in Chicago and Charlotte, both institutes defunct, and they are a part of the larger art institutes umbrella. 
all of these problems across the country and they have so many reports and tens of thousands of students like her uh, who either got scammed out of money, got worthless credits that don't transfer and are worth nothing and or are not skilled, competent in their field at all. That's not everybody who went to these institutes, but man, that story was not isolated. And we had other people who called in who said, man, I went there and couldn't even get the credits to transfer. And Z's mom said she talked her friend out of doing this and wasting $100,000 for these worthless credits. That is why it is so important to be able to see Wow, this was probably a whole because they have lots of reports on the art institutes, uh, one the nightmarish end of the Dream Center's higher ed empire. Dream Center was the owner of the art institutes company. They came in and bought this place and, you know, the rest is bankrupt history. Uh, but there are lots of reports and many of them feature black people. The New York Times has one, a college chain crumbles and millions in student loan student loan cash disappears and they got a black mom at the top of it she's thinking she's training to be a doctor they take all of her money she is not a doctor she is not qualified for anything and ended up being nearly homeless as a result of all of this same thing we said last week study research your school, college, university, whatever, and then see if you can talk to folks, current students, and then can you speak with alumni? You graduated from this here place. Okay, what's the career? What's your career arc looking like? Where are you five years out or 10 years out? Did you have difficulty? Uh, did you feel like you were adequately trained as a result of attending this institution? Were you confused? You didn't know what was going on. You got in the workforce and what, what they could deer in the headlights. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> like, whoo, PDF? What is that? I don't know. Like, I'm confused about everything. Is that you? Or you got out, bang. They try, I was ready for everything. No surprises. I passed my certifications the first time. And I have been rolling ever since. Never looked back. That's what you want to hear. Maybe from three, four, five, six non-white people. Just to be sure. Lots of flim flam and bogus scams in the system of white supremacy. Number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. An email until justice at gmail dot com. Let us see. Uh, one of our aforementioned educators, uh, special ed educator, no less, uh, Bay Area mom, with us. I'll nab other hands as we proceed. Uh, Bay Area mom. She might be discombobulated or getting together. Z's mom with us also. Nap other hands as I. Oh, Oh, she is here. Couldn't see her. I was a little. Thank you. Hi. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to um, hold you up. Uh, Greetings to everyone. So the special education um, 
a lot of the clips caught my attention. But just with the teacher, uh, the teacher strike in Los Angeles and how just listening to uh, the paras or one of the paras speaking on how complicated it is, and I, I believe it, um, now it kind of gives me a um, – I always thought it was hard. That's why I would never be a teacher's assistant. Well, that's why I always – because I just thought that they do a, a lot of work, and that's so rude to say, okay, so some, some parents don't do or some teacher's assistants probably don't work as hard as others, right? But a lot of the teachers put a lot of work on those assistants. And uh, they're, they're real snooty. Or it, it is hard. They, they're real. Sometimes they're very mean to the par- the they call them parents, the paras. And they don't make any money. And the medical benefits, and then you have to pay for, you know what I mean? You have to pay. You, you got the copay and you know, the weekly, bi-weekly, however they're um, taking it out of your check, and then you better uh, have medical coverage because at the end of the year when you do your taxes or the beginning of the year, they ask about that, you know, so then they send proof that you have, if you do have medical benefits, they send proof. You get that stuff in the mail. So it's really how everything connects together to make sure there's a grip on you one way or another. And um, the parents are very mean. The teachers are rather snooty, depending on your your position, your title. They're very title oriented. Um, even in the special education department, when they come in to visit or high up people from the school district, they have these gold badges, and that's just big stuff. So if you see this <laughs> badge, well, big stuff is walking in the room. So you know. It's more about the titles, and 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 as a parent, because I was listening to um, a parent that needed the school for a babysitter, <clears throat> right, right. So that's how I look at it. As a parent, I looked at it um, as the school. The teachers have a heavy load. The classes were always large, and for that special needs class, I think she said that they have fifty. Oh, it's weird. Under 20. So uh, I know we have 15, and I don't know if they throw extra in because I'm in there, <laughs> but there, there's 15 now. And fortunately for the para there, she doesn't really – the teacher kind of – starts making or do stuff because he's running around making copies and and I guess he kind of probably wants it done right but he's running around doing all kind of stuff that she could kind of do but when he calls you know no miss so-and-so she's busy I'm busy on my computer playing whatever and talking in my language to my country about business you see these birth certificates on my I'm busy so he'll, he'll look at her and be like oh Oh, you okay? I'll be back. You know, basically, I um, pity watch the class while I go. You know, make these copies, and then with us having a disabled child, it makes it complicated. So I'm saying all that to say, I get it with the the um the overwhelming um stuff for the the um, teachers' assistants, and then you get mistreated by the teachers because a lot of those teachers are awful, and you can't even get paid, and they're not good with the 
students because, well, that was a lot of students out there, too. Woo! For three days. Ay, ay, ay. So, um, thank goodness for spring break. But, um, ah, too bad. Um, oh, it was another clip. Maybe I'll chime in on it later. Um, my workplace racism. I just want some, um, I have, I have two jobs. Uh, the second one, I'm the, uh, I do respite. I was thinking, I think about them a lot because, um, I just do. Um, I have a different attachment because I, I, I did, I've been working with a little boy for a while, a long while, and, you know, I wanted to see some of the goals that were created from when he was three. I wanted them to be mastered and we get on to some other stuff. And, you know, at least by six, I'd be in a different position with him. We'd be doing other things. Oh, um, He's basically the same as he was three years ago to me as far as development. He's always been walking, you know, jumping. He's, there's nothing he's doing different. He knows color. You know, he, he was already, his brain was with proper implementation. He could have done a whole lot of stuff. He's real quick, very smart, very smart. And he gets a lot of the, he gets, okay, because he's a product of both of the parents in the home versus the now 18-year-old, he gets a different attention on top of the fact that he's a baby. But because they have the, the, the same parents live in the home, he gets a different love that's shown, um, total different run of the house. He could do whatever he wants versus the other one. Just looking, because I'm just only looking, it looks like there's a difference in treatment. So the, the now 18-year-old, I've noticed for the past, I'd say not, almost a year, he's been watching Sesame Street. And I'm like, oh, what's this? So he listens to all kind of, uh, what do they call it, the trap music? Well, they, um, is that trap music? Well, that's what I mean. Well, it's not trap music to me. It's um, like Little John and all that stuff, Sierra. So he listens to that a lot. And it's, you know, the older Jeff, Mary J. You know, he listens to the older I'll ponder on why later. But anyway, that's what he listens to all the time on the tablet. He holds it up to his ear like a radio. So that's what he does all day. He runs around the house. Well, runs around the, yeah, basically runs around the house listening to the, this, this um, device. Um, and he, uh, he eats. So the difference between him and his brother is he eats, he's not going to gnaw down cookies and all that foolishness. He's going for the tomatoes, mangoes, but he's going for the vegetables. He prefers fruits and vegetables. He'll get in trouble for eating too many, that kind of stuff. So just, just 
it's, it's crazy. So he's treated different by the stepdad. Uh, I remember one time he grabbed a mango, and the stepdad, uh, just because he just came home, you know, he's not vocal, so he just grabbed a mango. Ooh, mango. He grabbed a mango. And the man, and, and you know, start saying words to him. And so uh, just that kind of thing. My question is, do you, does anyone think that, because he gets, he does the only time he gets, Everybody, he's, he is loved. He's loved in the house, but as far as the parents, he's not treated the same. The, the grandparent, the grandmother lives there as well, and there's an aunt that lives there as well. So that's a total savior for him. He's on so much medication. He does get, you know, you have to um, give him medication twice a day, a slew of medications and uh, for seizures because he has awful, 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 awful seizures, and he can have one any time it's awful. So um, he goes through that a lot, and he stays in his room a lot because when he's downstairs, he makes sounds, and so no one wants to hear that, go in your room. So I'm the one that lets him, you know, I don't care. You can go over here and make it all the noise. I don't care. Do what you want to do. But he sleeps a lot because there's not a lot of stuff to do, so I have to keep him awake. So don't let him sleep. He can't go to sleep till you can take medicine, you know, almost 10 o'clock at night. That's when you take the medicine. And, and it, you know, you want him to stay up, and if he sleeps, he can only sleep for like an hour, and or he'll be up all night bugging them. But there's nothing for him to do. His room is basically there. There's nothing for him to do, and there's nothing aside of the ABA that he com- that comes in, in and maybe school. There's nothing for him to do except for get told, go in your room, stop, shut up, stop making all noise. And then when he has a seizure, you know, you're running to save his life. So. Like I said, I noticed he's been watching um, Sesame Street for the past, not, I, I like to say, virtually a year. And I'm wondering, do you think he's going to that because maybe he did the attention because the child, every time he would watch Sesame Street and say some of the stuff or do, you know, have it playing, he would get attention um, or some kind of attention, particularly for me because I give him, I'm, I, the little boy gets, if I'm there for three hours, I'm his for three three hours, all me. Six, eight hours, so it's eight hours, it's like, oh, the toy. You know, it's just like sad because that's how I am. But with the other boy, they tend to fight over me. So if he wants my attention, that's when the six-year-old start talking about, you all right, you all right, you okay, you okay, you all right, you all right, what you need, what you need. And then he's pulling me, so it's like a tug of war. And then the adults would be, leave me alone, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's complicated. So my question is, do you, does anyone think that he's doing, going backwards? Well, I wouldn't say going backward. I would just say I'm watching Sesame Street. He's 18. He wasn't watching it before for some kind of attention, or maybe if he'll get treated like around that age. And that, that's my question. And thank you. Um, excuse me for rambling. And I'll mute my line. Much obliged, uh, Bay Area Mom. Uh, that was a lot of students who were impacted for those three days of the uh, L.A. Unified School District teacher strike. Uh, they said hundreds of thousands of students, many of them, non-white uh, who were impacted in fact they had a number of articles talking about man 
three days of no school for many students, probably many non-white students, that means three days of no meals. Hmm. Anyway, delectable Negro. Anyway, uh, as for your specific question, uh, I think when, and certainly other folks, educators, people who work with children who are way more knowledgeable than myself on this subject matter, probably many other subjects as well. Uh, but Dr. Welsing, uh, part of her theory is that we are not men, women, boys and gals and this system because of the abuse that we face a lot of us end up you know crawling back in the crib instead of developing and growing we end up regretting what you said going backwards regressing um i think i think the screens that is such a powerful narcotic and so many people of all ages all over the world that is such a a soothing, comforting experience to watch television. And if, you know, you said this person is watching or listens to uh, music content or sound content that's like from 20 years ago, uh, they have that whole theme going uh, and going back and watching TV content that they maybe would have watched when they were a lot younger. Uh, it could be exactly what you're saying, seeing this other child get so much attention and you know, maybe if I act more in line with this younger child's behavior, I'll get attention uh, from the uh, attempted parents. Uh, it also could be, we talked about it with uh, Irie in that book, Kinder Culture. Uh, TV is so powerful, the same way that you talked about, um, we were talking about Sesame Street, Cookie Monster, um, and people watching and, and just loving all of that, I think, for a lot of folks. Um that going back to kind of remember those times, I don't know what, you know, they, it, this person's, this uh, child's experiences were when they were younger, or what have you. But uh, if they get some memories, if that is soothing, uh, where they can kind of go back to those younger years and remember being a child and whatever the experience was like then, even when this child wasn't there. Um, I mean, it could be a lot of things because there's so much associated with that. You said even this child who's doing that, he does eat the bad food. A lot of Cookie Monster and all of that uh, within Sesame Street. I mean, it's just such a uh, so common and so pitiful. So pitifully common. So routine even uh, because there's so much of that. We non-white people, uh, we have been trained for centuries to be reckless with the act of procreation. Uh, and so you have lots of that and all those, you know, resentments and this child is treated a little worse and this child is treated a little better. And, you know, we got different dads and all the rest of it. Like, Man, Dr. Welsing, again, when you play around with sex, joke is on the offspring. Uh, so it, it certainly could be. Uh, it certainly could be a lot of things influencing. I mean, that typically is the case where there are many factors that influence behavior, but. Yeah, that seems like it would be a logical, could be a logical part of it. That happens a lot of times when there's some sort of uh, vying for parental attention. But it just very uh, sad situation and common, common and sad through and through. No throwaway offspring. Say that all the time. Courtesy Dr. Welsing. Uh, if other folks uh, have thoughts on what's happening with this child's behavior, the kind of going back and 
self-comforting in Sesame Street? Uh, what what could be happening with all of this sad behavior? Uh, feel free. Let us know. 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Other folks who dialed in, let's see, Z's mom with us. We'll nab other hands as I see them. Uh, feel free. Um, greetings, everyone. I'm, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Okay, greetings, everyone. Um, I guess I have some stuff I wanted to report. This this is specifically things that um, Z wrote down that she wanted me to report from her school. So um, the first thing she wanted to talk about is in one of her classes, she sits um, right next to a lot of non-white Mexicans, as they call themselves. And one day, one of them, um, he said that his eyes were red because he just finished vaping. And then he made a joke saying that, um, or bragging that after class, he has to actually go to like a vaping education course because he has such a problem with vaping and joking with the other kids about it. Um, they, she said that when the teacher looks back, like turns his back on them, they stick the middle finger or they even like try to spit at him or towards him a lot of times, like very disruptive in this class. These classes have like 30 plus kids in them as well or students in them. Um, uh, uh, she wants to talk about the anti-blackness that she has to deal with. She said that most of her class they say the word, or they say things like monkey all the time, and they make, they call each other monkey. They say jokes like, oh, you don't say monkey, that's a Nigerian word, whatever that means. Um, and then whenever they make these jokes, they look directly at her. To give you the demographics of the school, I think it's like, it's, well, online it says it's like 24% white, um, 59%. I think not um, Hispanic, but they don't specify if it's white or non-white. I think it says non-white Hispanic, um, and then other race. I, I think Z said that she can. She basically knows every single black student at the school. She says that there's only like five, and she knows all of them. So um, their students have this thing called a hard R pass. Basically, they say that certain black people have given them a pass to say the N word and that she was sitting next to a, a non-black student who said the N-word. She looked at him and he said, oh, don't worry, I have the pass. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of fights that happen at her school. Oh, I just want to preface this by saying, like, this is a, this is not a, a, a I guess, this neighborhood has mansions, et cetera. Like, I mean, we don't live in them, obviously, but because of the system, but, like, there are a lot of people who have a lot of wealth here, and you can still see how depraved these students are. Um, so there's a thing called OSA, oh, sorry, <laughs> there's a, um, there's a online Instagram that has all of the students when they have, when they get into physical altercations, and they post it on there, and they talk about how excited they are to post it on there. When Z was at lunch, she was sitting, and she saw, like, basically, 
within like a few feet from her, a black um, female student being jumped by like three other students. She broke her nose. Her nose was completely like bleeding all the way through. Um, the students often say jokes like how they're getting raped by each other and they make these jokes constantly. And then another thing that she's been dealing with that I felt like she actually, we talked about it a lot because she was dealing with the other black students at the school making fun of her and making jokes about her being dark-skinned and it was affecting her a lot and we kind of talked about constructive ways to approach the um, other black students not in a confrontational way and she was able to tell them, hey, when you say these types of things, when you make jokes about my skin color, um, it hurts my feelings because there's nothing wrong with my skin color and, you know, there's people in my family who are the skin color, et cetera. And the other black student was very receptive to it and she apologized and she said, if I ever say, if like I say those things without thinking, you know, let me know. And, you know, and she even told her like, you shouldn't even be my friend if I say those things. So obviously black people don't have friends, so she's not her friend either way. But I thought that that was a pretty constructive thing. Um, but yeah, I just, just to add another, I guess, student's perspective of um, the school system, it's absolutely horrendous what these uh, students are going through, the ones who try to be constructive because the other students are just, they're really um, just, I guess, I don't want to, they're just, they're just not mentally, yeah, they're just, yeah. Um, I think that's all I wanted to say. Oh, you know, I thought it was really interesting the story about monitoring um that you were you said you were going to um show that interview. One thing I've noticed is so many of my coworkers, the non-white ones are very comfortable at my plantation in terms of being on like and one coworker watches TV shows while working in a like in a small like, um, he has a smaller window, but you can see it when you come and he doesn't feel any type of way. He doesn't feel nervous about it, that he's doing that. I have a lot of other coworkers who do things like that. I think it's very interesting, and I, I want to tell, tell them something, but I'm also, like, kind of being cognizant of just keeping to myself at this new plantation that I'm at. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say was, um, yeah, I also taught special ed for a while, and... Um, yeah, that the person the that bear mom was talking about, he's he's very much regressing, but it's like um it it depends on even like what he's taking in from these shows because he could really be watching anything and his mind may interpret it whatever way. Um I think the most important thing like you were saying is to really minimize the green time because it takes away from so many other um, activities that he could be doing, but it's, it's very much dependent on the people who are their caretakers, and unfortunately, from my experience teaching special ed, it's a lot easier to put a screen in front of a child's face because it's very, very, very difficult, and a lot of these people do not have the time or capacity, um, so... That's all I have to say for now. Thank you. (laughs) 
we got to put a screen in front of the child's face because we don't have teachers. <laughs> They're on strike and or young academic and or hey, got the school to prison pipeline, not the school to teacher pipeline. Much obliged. Z's mom. Oh, that is man. Oh, man. Uh, we had another student young fella was talking about how he's dealt with the COVID situation and all of that. I don't know if, if Z and we have any other young people, when I say young people, like, uh, under age 18, um, who would like to share how they have experienced what the past three years now of COVID-19 has been like, or they have school situations like Z drop me an email until justice at gmail.com and we can revisit because we did that before Z was with us and talking about we talked about food and vegan eats and then uh, the school situation as well but yeah we can revisit I think that's uh, that's something I am proud of that'll be that that would be my like submission if they were going to do like a time capsule so we could come back a hundred years from now or others could come back a hundred years from now when there is a system of justice Say, let's see what the wacky folks were up to back when there was all that racism and the Rona. Let's let's see what was in the time caps. Like, bang, we'll have our program with non-white children discussing how COVID-19 impacted their academic progress or lack thereof. Um, I think for man, it's it's so amazing to have parents talk to their offspring about racism. That is the correct I mean, that's the logical, that really should be the only way to procreate, plan it out well in advance, both parties. This is super serious business for life. And then we're going to be honest with them talking about racism, white supremacy every time. If that means if they ask a question at three, we're going to have to put this on three-year-old terms so they can understand. And we're going to be honest with them. Four, five, whatever it is, they ask a question, we're going to talk about this honestly so that they are not confused about all of this that is that is gold for the non-white child's brain computer oh metaphor so oh my goodness i don't she started sobriety would be best now i remember way back when we talked about all this way before recreational cannabis was legal in California, as it has been for years now, almost 10 years. Uh, Dr. Welsing said, man, spreading this amongst children. Oh, that's terrible. We don't need it. And particularly, we just talked about this last week. Z even made a point like, dang, your brain computer is still developing. You're doing all that smoking. Jeez, that's terrible. Nah, this regular thing. I'm joking. He <laughs> 12 years old. Got my vaping education session afterwards because I'm so addicted. Hmm. Why am I not surprised? Twelve. Not supposed to be able to legally vape until way better. Twelve. Not surprised. Sobriety would be best. Got to talk to your children about all these narcotics very early apparently they got those cannabis jelly beans that they brag about so I mean you got to talk to them about that real early Uh, the 30 children in the class my goodness 
some college classes aren't don't even have 30 students in them. My goodness, that is a lot of wild and high-energy young people uh, who are vaping and on drugs and everything. I'm like, just wow, that is... <laughs> That might be another illustration. White people do not care about children. Really, I'd say everything that we heard from Z, that right there is kind of the unadulterated culture of white supremacy racism. Everything that we heard. Abuse of narcotics. Violence. Racism. Racist jokes. Anti-blackness. The racism is so prevalent non-white people are conditioned to be in conflict with each other the anti-blackness is conditioned even from other individuals classified as black violence gotta break this black female's nose in the cafeteria and then we brag about he said I'm sorry Z's mom she said they got the site we put up the uh I don't know what do you call it the footage from from the brawls and what have you those brawls incidentally that's been in the news quite a bit this week I guess that's always in the news but I mean uh, the high schools and middle schools they're having just all of these mob violence and uh, they were talking about this happening like out at shopping malls and Target and everywhere else uh, and when I say like mobs it would be like 30 children like we just heard in the classroom 30 children uh, where they broke, you know, all the merchandise up at the Target and wailing and knocking and all the rest of it. Talk. Make sure you talk to your children uh, about all of that violence uh, that is had. Because, I mean, that is white culture. And to think that that is something that is fun, like breaking somebody's nose, that's serious. Like, she might have to get cosmetic surgery for that and I mean gosh is she going to have scars for life from that not to mention all the trauma of that uh, the consequences for the folks who did that I hope like are they going to be expelled like we get this close to the end of the year and you end up getting expelled from school or whatever else should be police charge you break somebody's nose like that my goodness like well, that is not funny that's not ooh you got a good one ooh that's you know that is that is disgraceful. That's nothing. But again, that's white culture. Cheer about. We love violence. Yes. Swack. Whack. Give another one and jump her. Ah, Fighting for no reason, too. Just jumping people just to be jumping people, especially if it's a black person. Um, I was kind of stunned with the. She said the black student was making comment that being uh, anti-black conflict got to be saying something nasty about another non-white person especially if they're classified as black and she says young z counter racist scholar says hey that really hurts my feelings my family we're melanated makes me feel bad about them makes me feel bad about me every time that you say that she said the young lady said wow you're right I hadn't even thought of it that way. She said, I don't even think when I say these things now. That, these are middle schoolers. What? What? The anti-blackness is just default. I don't even have to sit around and think. Just I open my mouth and ah, no count nigra. Ah, monkey. Ah, get out of here. You no count black. Ah, <laughs> what? Yep. 
That's how we've been trained for generations. I'm amazed because most of the time it's not. Dang. I didn't mean to make you feel bad. I didn't even think about it. I'm sorry. You should let me know when I do that in the future. In fact, you shouldn't even be my friend. Like, that's not what happens. Most of the time, people are not that reflective and honest and sincere. Most of them, oh, shut up, coon. Wrong with you. Toughen up. Oh, you, you, this old co- that's most of the time the time of, re- of response that we'll do a little more of it now and hurt your feelings, you old coon. But that did not, that, <laughs> bravo, bravo, bravo. Um, the hard how could I leave out the hard R pass now contrast those two the young black female this little girl's my fault I don't even think I just I'm saying this stuff and don't even think about it my bad these other folks she said some of them are Mexican and all the rest of it whatever that means could be white Hispanic who knows uh, these other folks Ops, don't even worry about it, little sister. I got the hard R pass. Now that's some codification for you right there. <laughs> like what? What? I've even seen news reports where sometimes they actually have a physical pass. Whip out my wallet and bam, hard R pass. Have my picture on it and everything. Good to the end of the academic year. What? <laughs> like. So they do not have an F. They can do the PDFs, GIFs, all that. Got it. A plus. Doing that since I was in kindergarten. Oh, and watching TV at work. I can't even. I can't even. I would be. What is the metaphor on the fence? If I don't, because she says she's new at this job. See, he's mom. I don't know these people like that. We're not super cool. We haven't been hanging out before I had this job, that sort of thing. Hmm. I would have to think of it like that. Just me. I know there are a lot of people. They would do it in a heartbeat, too. They would go and talk to this black person, maybe close the door, what have you. Black brother, Paul, whatever your name is, whatever it is. Uh, I know I'm not your supervisor or anything like that. Just, uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, you remember O.J. Simpson? We're in California. Okay, okay, gotcha. I don't know what you think about O.J. Simpson, but man, oh man, uh, it seems many times, black people, we are about five minutes from being O.J. Simpson. So maybe watching TV at work, maybe that might not be the best thing to do. Maybe. I know some people, they would do, and I would give them a commendation that, man, that is black self-respect right on. Me? Hmm. I don't know how long you've been working here. If you've been working here watching TV for five years, keep on rolling, brother. <laughs> hey, who am I? Don't let me don't let me mess up your groove, man. Let me know what's good on Netflix and I'll check it out maybe. But uh I and it is too I mean people have been doing that hybrid work and all the rest of it, they do have a lot of articles talking about the younger people in the workplace. I don't really know what they mean uh, when they say younger, uh, but uh, the emojis and texting and hybrid workplace, I think that might be a part of it as well. Watching streaming Netflix or whatever else that they're doing 
while they are at work. Eh. Uh, I would not recommend that. Now, if you've been doing it on a job for a long time and nobody said anything, I don't know what to say. I would not recommend that sort of thing. I see many non-white people who get accused of not paying attention, being off task. Uh, I don't know too many jobs where like you, I mean, they have uh, firewalls and such at a lot of workplaces to keep people from going to Netflix and YouTubes and streaming sites where you're wasting time and what have you. They want you to be, you know, efficient. I told you the segment that I did not play was about metrics like, ooh, we, like what? You were in here watching what? Uh, I would not model that myself. I would just leave it at that. And I would just pay pay attention. You end up being on this job for five years, and he's there the whole time that you're there, and he's still streaming. Right on. Uh, the number again: six zero five three one three five one six four. The code. Five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Let's see. Uh, again, not for spectators. If other folks, if we have folks who have thoughts on uh, Bay Area mom's question about uh, young victim and his attachment to. Sesame Street. Uh, we have certainly, if we have any other folks, any experience with the art institutes anywhere in the U.S., let us know. That's the type of thing in terms of pattern and just seeing how widespread. Because I didn't know I had no experience with any of the art institutes. I'd never spoken with anyone who went there and you know felt like they got scammed and you know they just robbed them that sort of thing so to hear that or just to start talking about that last week and to see this is widespread defunct bankrupt tens of thousands of students the bankruptcies all of that just man do your diligence as best you can but yes if we have any other uh, folks who have any experience with the art institutes let us know the number 605-313-5164 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate oh the cafeteria man that strike in LA I've totally forgot that included the cafeteria workers and they love to pile up delectable Negro non-white people get in there and make those vittles and get, get those tater tots and all the rest of it out they were a part of the strike and saying that they are not being well compensated and I can imagine that would probably be another group talking about people having to live in their car uh, the teachers aides and all the rest of it in LA because they make such uh, a pittance I am very sure the cafeteria workers because they got people who you require them to have a four year degree and then pay them as little as possible the cafeteria workers you could get someone who has a GED or whatever the case maybe they dropped out of high school and all the rest of it not 
passing judgment, but just, hey, these people, we generally do not pay them as much, right? Man, you <laughs> could not even imagine. What does that sound? They didn't, I don't know. Maybe they did. I should have maybe got that. So I said I could have played so many different reports. If they did talk to some of the cafeteria workers who were striking, we let me hear what their experience is. Even at the 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 schools where the mansions are in Southern California. Anywho, let us see here. It's waiting. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Wow. Folks are spectating again. Now, folks are spectating, and particularly with all the things that happened this week with the banking crash and strikes and protests in France and on and on and on. Man, if you have a work situation that is relatively stable, you are being compensated correctly. They are not calling you monkey, snitch, terrorist, all the rest of it. Let us know how you did this. Uh, the number is 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Certainly, if all of the above is true for you, you're not victimized, targeted on the job. You hey, you watch TV on the job. Nobody says a word to you. Hmm. Watch Scandal all day long. Love me some Kerry Washington. We will be here tomorrow. Uh, compensatory call in 8 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And then uh, again on Sunday. Also, all the programs, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we're supposed to be here on Wednesday. Uh, we just had to reschedule. Uh, but Sunday should be here. Looking forward. Uh, might even get some mentions for Dr. Welsing, history of uh, black psychology. Even for Dr. Welsing. That segment about the non-white officer in Canada where he talked about being suicidal. He said he was in his car. He had the six-year grievance. And he talked about being in his vehicle. And he said, man, I could just take this car off the side of the road. That is why we have neutralizing workplace racism. It gets that serious for non-white people all over the way. He was in Canada all over the world being terrorized, not having anyone to talk to about what's happening, be, having it just be endless. Six years, no end in sight. This is just on and on and on and on. And for what? Because I'm trying to stop them from terrorizing my coworkers, harassing my coworkers. Now I'm a monkey and a snitch and all the rest of it. Be mindful of your mental health. Uh, When you are in these work situations and you're being mistreated and what have you, it gets to the point where you realize like, man, this is messing up my, my sleep and I'm not eating and I feel anxious. And, you know, I just, I don't let this, this is not the normal, you know, I just go to work and I'm upset for a little while. I come home and forget about this. Something I obsess. I'm thinking about this 
all the time and bothered about this all the time, angry about this all the time or combination of emotions, that major problem, take that serious. So many black people end up in situations like that. Maybe they don't drive off that cliff, although sometimes that does happen. You even got a lot of children in situations like with Z where young children end up committing suicide at 10 years old even. So certainly workers too, and even subtle suicide where we do a lot of uh, incorrect eating, gaining weight, incorrect eating and losing weight, not sleeping, not taking care of ourselves. It can be expressed in a lot of different ways, uh, disrupting our relationship. Nairobi Thompson, she talked about that. She's on the other side of the planet talked about that in her memoir where it can totally disrupt your marriage disrupt your ability to parent your children you're thinking about driving your car off of a cliff i'm going to humbly submit you are probably not going to be doing your best parenting husbanding wifing whatever else there is to do If you are thinking, man, I should just keep this car and go right off the road and just be done with it all. We do not qualify for black mental health. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, and that's anywhere in the world under the system of white supremacy, racism. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, you have your own situation or comments what we've heard thus far line should be open proceed hello yes ma'am yeah um i appreciate the commentary the young lady gave uh uh, several minutes ago about the um non-white non-black student uh using the n-word and I don't care in any form it's wrong to use that word uh, in the workplace, in a school setting, because, you know, as it relates to school and young children, that can be a target to black children, um, non-white black children, um, even though that word, in whatever variation it's used, um, you know, uh, it's, you know, very popular in hip-hop music um so uh you know a lot of people including non-blacks feel that it's okay for them to use that word but in the end like i was alluding to earlier it can it can target black children and i say that because i don't see of any other instance and please correct me gus but you know in articles or you know other forms of media where, you know, the, um, what do you call the racial slurs associated with other groups, whether religious groups like Jews or, um, you know, other, you know, ethnic groups are used, you know, whether the racial slur for Chinese, the racial slur for uh, Japanese, for Hispanics, for Jews, you never hear those words used. So, it's it's only the N word, <laughs> so um, I I do understand you know that non whites are targeted in this society, but as you've often said, sir, um, 
it's blacks that suffer the most. And I can really see why the, the suicide rate is, you know, being led by young black children. Um, and I won't attribute it solely to the N-word, but I believe that's a big part of it, um, especially with the, you know, the vicious history of that word in, this, in, Amer- in United States of America. So I, I, I just wanted to bring that point out, and I, I think that black children should be taught in whatever form that word is used, it's wrong. And they should speak, learn to speak up, but, of course, they would need guidance and mentorship in that. that it's, I think that's very important because no other group of people, whether non-white or non-black, will tolerate the use of the racial slur associated with their specific communities. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Very important. I think in a work context, school work, the same thing. I think all of that, um, just that there should not be any racial slurs. I don't, I've never in a work or school context, uh, heard, uh, I don't even know what it would be like, uh, the K pass, uh, to call Jewish people some sort of slur or the fag pass or the kike pass or the, I don't even, I mean, there might be isolated incidents, but I mean, that nigger pass, that thing is widespread. And I mean, the racist jokes and all that, we've talked about that repeatedly for years. That stuff is overwhelmingly targeting black people. It's not saying other people aren't included, but overwhelmingly targeting black people. But I always think we should not be saying nigger work school really at all, but certainly work school is supposed to be uh, professional environments. Uh, we are not being hostile, no hostile, despite all the mob violence and what have you, uh, we're not supposed to be hostile. It's supposed to be a safe environment. So yeah, and even if it were all black people, uh, either or work or school, same stance, not appropriate. I think we've heard that from other people where they've been in work situations and it was all people classified as black and they were playing you know, like you were talking about songs or what have you. And, oh, I love the black. And, same thing she did we're not gonna do uh you know coop this and all the rest of it we are at work you want to listen to that while you're at home on your time great but we're at work this is supposed to be a professional environment safe environment certainly we don't go around and talk that way to the boss and the ceo i hope even if we have an all black company i hope that's not how we're talking to the boss and the ceo what's up my nigra get me a raise I don't know what kind of company this is. Man. Anywho, uh, much obliged, ma'am. Anti-blackness is rife. Black self-respect is mandatory. Must be taught, too. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up? Hello. Our caller in Georgia? Yes, ma'am. Hi, everyone. I hope they're having the best evening they can have. Um, you asked... Um, if your job was okay and all that kind of stuff, well, my job was okay. Um, the job that we have, um, if you're at home, you can have music in the background. You know, you get some good noise, canceling headphones, or whatever. Um, no one can hear it. Um, they were. Watch- I don't watch. I don't watch the Super Bowl, but you know, people were. They're like, "Oh, Rihanna, she was so great," and this. So. Um, 
at that particular time, it gets really slow. No one calls and asks for help because they're into the Super Bowl. Um, I try to be respectful to people so people are respectful to me. I don't have, no one really tries to talk to me crazy. The, the quote unquote craziest thing was someone telling me I should be on survival with them. And I'm like, no, I don't do that. But that's like the, cra- the craziest thing I guess that's been said to me, which is, you know, pretty tame. Let's go on survivor. Um, but, uh, no, I, I guess you could watch TV. Um, like, I, I just don't, I, I mean, I might watch a video or something, I guess, because my computer's nearby. Um, you know, you try not to do stuff on their computer, except, um, they let you do that. Um, you to me, they let you do that on their computer. So I might, I need to do more of that, but they do let you do that. So you do that. Um, no. And again, this particular year has been pretty different. Not the level of activity hasn't been as high as it was last year. And we anticipate that it will get, um, that it will increase as it gets closer to the tax deadline. So, you know, it's not all the time, every time, but for the most part, if that's, um, as long as you're doing your job like you're supposed to, for the most part, we don't get bothered too tough. Um, there are a lot of metrics. Um, even some of the managers, they were kind of complaining about being micromanaged at their level. But, you know, I'm not a manager, so, and I'm not trying to be, so, you know, too bad for them. Uh, I do what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes she, my manager micromanages, but most of the time it's helpful. And I did ask her in the beginning, you know, I didn't ask her, of course, are you going to micromanage me? But I did ask her, you know, is going to be more management participation in her, you know, looking at the things that we do. And she said, yes, I was ready for it. And she's been very positive, constructive towards my um, my work behavior and performance. So if you at this so far, and I've every I think the first manager, no, the first match I had was black, was a black female, and she went to work somewhere else. And the main manager I had last season was a black male, and he's still there. Um, he's considered a full time manager, so he works there all year. Um, and I don't know, I just I do what I've this particular job. If you do what you're supposed to do, the managers they have so many other things that they need to do. If you're doing what you're supposed to do, they, you know, you have your little every other week meetings to touch base. But I don't know. I just don't get bothered if the people do it. If I do what I'm supposed to do, so that's mine. And this week was another yay slow week at work. Thank you. I love it. I love the boring work week. Nothing to report. No insults. Didn't even have to use any counter racism techniques. Did the work. Got paid. Look forward. Starting on next week. Have a constructive weekend. Um, love it. That's, that's the goal to see if we can get as many non-white people to that spot as we can while we work to solve this here problem. Um, that now she said that in their situation where I believe is work from home, that they can watch TV while they work. Now, 
I had I said that metrics. Let's go play that clip. I had to get that next week. Uh, for many people, even if they do work from home, they are not allowed to watch television. And they got all the you know uh, techniques and software to monitor what you're doing on the computer, what websites, your activity levels, and all the rest of it. So that's great. She's at you know her workplace. They can watch videos or whatever, as long as they're getting you know their work done in a timely manner, which seems adult. But I mean, wow, even that is not the case for for some folks. I mean, yeah, that is not the case. Hello. Um, yes, ma'am. Hello. I'm sorry. I was just saying, um, when you watch those things, except for the Udemy, which is the training, which is great, the other things you should do, of course, you know, people have their own TVs because, you know, they're set up in the office or whatever. Um, there are people, they go, oh, I'm cooking dinner, and they go cook dinner because it's been so slow. I'll be back. I'm going to go check on my food. They go check on their dinner and come back, or they order DoorDash, and I got to go get my DoorDash. I mean, I've had to do that. I'm like, oh, somebody's at the door. Hold on. I go to the door. I get what I need to get. I mean, I'm not, like, hanging out the door for a half hour. You know, it's like two minutes, go get it, come right back and and sit down at work. Um, If I had one of those, I guess, wireless headphones, I guess I could wash clothes, do whatever I wanted to do all over the place and then just, you know, when my thing comes up, my house is not that big where I can't go back to the computer and do what I need to do and get up and leave. I mean, that would be pushing it. I wouldn't do that. That would be kind of pushing it if that's your whole existence. But, um, yeah. And as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do, and I mean, and no one's, you know, reporting you to the manager like you're doing this or you're doing that. Because it's very clear. We talk about it all the time. You know, we're all each other got. We have, so we need to um, kind of work together and solve resolve any conflicts quickly and move on and do what we need to do. And so that's what we try to do. And all pretty much all of us and we are um what they would say is diverse, white, black, um well not really Asian but I guess Hispanic. Um maybe one Asian, maybe one person who might be considered Pacific Islander I haven't asked. I just kinda of go by his um the person's name. We pretty much get along okay. I'm not, you know, I'm just trying to do what I need to do, and that's all most of our goal is. Minimize conflict and get the things done that need to be done. That's, man, that's what we should be doing. That's why, that's, that's exactly what I said. That's the position we're trying to get all of the non white people to, like, well paid on their job, competent not being mistreated and what have you solve problems getting work done quickly efficiently solve those little conflicts quickly and boom 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 back to work that's what it's supposed to be I love it like and too we heard that that whole you know the, the hybrid and work from home and the COVID situation like has probably permanently changed the work experience it's probably going to be some level of that moving forward you know permanently at least for the foreseeable future uh, maybe not for everybody, maybe not every day, but oh yeah, um, all of that. And I mean, that I would just want to be clear about the policy. She said, hey, they have a certain amount of freedom, as long as you're not being reported and all the rest of it. Great. Be professional. Get your work done. Enjoy the freedom. Uh, but like I said, some companies, oh no, they do not. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you're, not you're not ordering DoorDash. You do that when you are not on the clock. <laughs> like, and you just want to make sure you know what you know what is allowed, 
what is not. But that's spectacular. I hope uh, I hope you get a big raise and have more boring weeks. Uh, I don't know if it's slow. I guess it will pick up as it gets closer to tax season. So you probably, uh, yeah, enjoy the slow time, and then you'll be ready to roll once it uh, picks up. But that is great. More raises and bonuses and all the rest of it. Um, much obliged to our caller in Georgia female caller in Georgia uh, other folks who dialed in if we have any other folks if you have got you know stable cushy dare I say work environment not being mauled and mistreated or accused of being a snitch let us know how you did it how you are maintaining your uh, for the moment peaceful environment workplace environment the number is 605 313 the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate the email until justice at gmail dot com until justice at gmail dot com let us see check see if other folks have we have any uh, responses again for Bay Area Mom, her uh, query about the young male victim and his return to Sesame Street, uh, any of the other presentations that we heard about young Z and her <sighs> Southern California madness at the school, <sighs> all the terrorism and anti-blackness. Uh, we have other folks who have comments here. Star 6-1. I'll check the email as well. Let's see. folks spectating for uh, a moment uh, once again give out our query for uh, attempted parents if you all have young or I think last time because I said we did not even have some of the folks were not even the children of our parents listeners they were like nieces and cousins and nephews that sort of thing so if you know some young people even have some younger neighbors when I say younger under 18 and yeah they want to share they've had some experiences over the three years plus of COVID-19 racism in school either or kind of the same thing really drop me an email until justice at gmail.com if uh, we have young people that would like to share uh, we can do another installment Uh, like I said that would be uh, I think uh, a constructive significant contribution to just kind of having a, a record of what the COVID-19 years were like and even specifically for young people uh, and going through all of this and, and you know how did it what did they think about all of this and, and how has it changed how they think about the whole school experience and all the rest of it and even uh, when we did this the previous time 2001 I believe I was surprised kind of sadly by the number of non-white people who had lost a relative uh, or multiple over the COVID years and at that time it had only been one and a half years I think it was relatively early uh, when we spoke in 2021 so yeah you know to be to follow up at three years that would be uh, 
Yeah, noteworthy, I think. Anyway, if folks are interested, if you know young people, if you have children yourself or whatever else in the family, neighbors, neighborhood, drop me an email, untiljustice at gmail.com. If we have interest, uh, we will see if we can make it happen uh, this spring. Uh, Let us see. Other folks with uh, input, their own situation, commentary on what we have heard thus far. Can I be heard? Uh, that's Bay Area Mom. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sorry, but no one else was saying anything. Um, I think that was good that the um, Z's mom, Z, uh, at least said something to the black girl about this, you know, I don't like that. It makes me feel this way. And it's interesting, too, because we're just so accustomed to picking on each other because we can't we can't say anything to the Spanish because they're in a group. They're collectively united, and we're always ping-ponged against each other. And I guess that's why they put so much energy into making sure that we stay divided, stay confused, stay misled to keep us from connecting because if we had a connection like the other uh, cultures, we we may be able to defend ourselves. We may be able to stand up for ourselves. We may feel more confident about speaking out against injustice. Um, and even with the vaping in uh, well, they're not raping in class, but the lack of respect for the instructors, that's the children, they're even worse now with the lack of respect for instructors. And it's cool to be funny. It's cool to be the one that, especially if you don't have education, that you you, you want to be funny. And um, it's just that. Uh, and then to have a past, um we're the only race that has no protection, so anybody can have a pass to call to pick on us because it's global, our mistreatment. So everybody has a pass. They all have a different way of calling us the same thing. Um, and I'm sure other cultures, they don't allow that to happen because they're in groups. We're not. Um and Mississippi, you did a clip, uh, Mississippi, that hired, they were hiring teachers because they don't have enough teachers to teach, I'm sure, a lot of the subjects, English, it was Spanish, they had, <laughs> they have to have the class going, so I guess for Spanish, too, they have jazz music and a computer program that's teaching them whatever it is, the fundamentals of what they want from them in Spanish, too. And it's okay. I'm sure a lot of the children as well speak Spanish, so it's easier. But it's got to suck for um, the ones who who don't have a dual language like that. They can't. It's hard. They're just in the class if they're in the class. 
And even with the pay, they make so little. Mississippi is awful anyway. And then they make so little. They make so little. What they make under 43000 So what's that? 40 between 37 and 42 depending on whatever they're basing it on. And I can see I wouldn't want to teach if, if I don't get paid enough and I have to endure all that, all those different bodies and personalities. And then you really say, oh, we're A-plus over here. Oh, oh, this district over here is where you want to be. So you can probably get the young students coming out of college with that because they want to go somewhere. They don't know. But they're, I guess, after being in these schools for so long, like the lady that in L.A. that was there for 15 years being a, a teacher's assistant, so I guess it's people don't want to move. People want to retire from different, from the same place. I mean, you know, different people, different places. They want to retire from the same place. They want to get the 10-year cup or, you know, whatever the amenities are. But the treatment, it, it's awful. And, oh, dear, the kids. So they have to, so that's the, this is where the children suffer as well Um, in high High school, middle school, you you don't have you don't have adequate teachers, adequate education. You're just going to the motions. No child left behind. We have computer programs. They're going to make sure they don't get left behind. Don't worry. And then when they go out into the world, a lot of the Spanish speaking people or the dual language people, they might they'll be able to make it a lot of times. But since we don't have a, a second language, it makes it even more complicated for for us. So thank you so much. I'll mute myself. Indeed. Much obliged, uh, Bay Area Mom. That report I played, I said there were so many things. The lack of teachers in Mississippi. I mean, that would be a hard draw. They were talking about that in the report. Like, how do you, it's so competitive and there's such a shortage. So they got all the amenities. And who wants to go to Mississippi to teach with the icky water and everything else? So... Um, the anti-blackness in the schools like I said talking to your children paramount uh, reminder Neely Fuller Jr. Uh, does I guess uh, part of his codification counter racist code black people are not a member of a race I think that is very important the only reason for belonging to a race is to practice racism only one race the white race that's it black get back absolutely uh, but yeah I did think that was amazing the exchange with young Z and the uh, little lady and uh, <laughs> yeah I don't I don't know uh, yes it reminded me there are only five, I think she said, unless my memory's bad, I think Z's mom said there are only five about black students at that school. So it's not like there are tons of them. So you got five, and this is how at least some of them, how they talk. Like, dang, yeah, it's not even, it's only five of us. We got to stick together. They got the hard R pass. We got to have each other's back. You're my black sister. You're my black, eh, nah. <laughs> dang, it's five. <laughs> it's like dang, dang. Oof. 
system of white supremacy. White people have done a job on us and for generations. Yikes. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Other folks who dialed in, if you have commentary to share, line should be open. Proceed. I had a question for these moms. Um, I was curious if, if anyone has ever had, or would, would anyone feel comfortable with their offspring doing like a, um, what are those things, a foreign exchange type of program in a country that was predominantly white? Wow, that's, uh, wow, interesting. Do you have age parameters on that? Since we have Z, or at least I have Z in mind, and she's middle school, so like 12, tweener age. Are you like right now, or do you have a certain age in mind, any age? Yeah, it would be like a a preteen type age. Okay, tweener, 12, 13. Do folks... Uh, parents have thoughts about sending your child on a foreign exchange program of some sort where they would be going to a predominantly white country like I don't know Germany France yeah learning a new language and going to the school but obviously putting themselves at great risk to being mistreated like exceptionally great risk hmm how long is the is it the whole academic year or is it half the year? No, it's not that long at all. I think approximately two weeks. Oh, but okay. the idea of of um, a black child in a home of white people is very concerning. But on the other hand, it is like an, an I think it's a very interesting experience too of how do white people in Europe practice racism differently? But is it but I wonder if it's worth it, you know? Would and so I'm wondering if anyone would you have you had any experience with your child doing that or would you be comfortable with your child doing that? Fascinating. Fasc I'm such a fan of traveling. In fact just today I read the report they were saying that the State Department they have literally an avalanche of passport requests because so many people are planning trips and all that, making up for lost time with COVID-19. So if you are trying to get a passport, put your application in right now and expect it to take longer than normal. Uh, goofy. Um, I do not have children. I was thinking that idiot does say white people don't care about children, but man, I love traveling. You get to learn. Dr. Welsing went to Germany, right? To, to go study she got that as a present after graduating college a little bit older than tween but still um i don't know we'll have to hear what parents think would you allow your tweener to go off for two weeks to a predominantly white country where they will be staying in a white household for two weeks so they can study learn the language all that good stuff how would you feel your child going off for that age that is hmm hmm what uh what do do we have attempted parents? Uh, would you 
Would you allow your child to embark on such a such a trip? Inquiring minds would like to know. Well, I'm not a tween mom, but I've had tweens. I had two tweens. And um, one tween, the girl, it was more easier. She doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't really go in. She wasn't really as interested. But with my male tween, I would say no, that he couldn't go Um for two weeks, even though it's two weeks. Because two weeks is great compared to a whole year. But my male tween, if he wants to go, is still going to figure out how he's going to get there and override my no and figure out how I'm going to say yes as he's still connecting the dots. So if if the child wants to go, (laughs) I would consider consider it um and it's only two weeks and it's pretty good mine has a whole passport he's been all over the place and i've said no to every damn so he still overrides me so if they want to go i think i would strongly consider it because they want to go but if they don't want to care about it, then no. So that's that's just me. I'm a no for everything. But if the child really wants to do it, I would totally consider it and lay it. I would totally figure out something. And that's all. Thank you. Mm. Children do know the art of wearing the parent down. Got to get them to change their mind. Um. All right, so we got one. She said she would be initial no, but if the child wanted to do it, she would be willing to reconsider if the child wanted to do it. Um, and the fact that it's two weeks, she said that that would be more favorable as opposed to it being a whole year type of a thing or something really long term. Uh, we, any other uh, attempted parents? Would you let your tween uh, non-white daughter non-white son go to a predominantly white country so called for two weeks study academic programs all that good stuff two weeks they're going to be hanging out and staying in the house with a white family presumably Um, would you allow this Uh, other attempted parents have a thought Hello. Uh, what is the age range of of the tween? What would be the age range? I think we said like twelve, thirteen. Um, I personally think that's a little too young. They're uh, still very impressionable, and I I think that uh, maybe if they were an older age, maybe seventeen, eighteen, I think that would be more acceptable because. They would, you know, be without 
parental supervision. Granted, I'm sure there would be some kind of chaperone there, but I, I think that that's a little too young. Even though I know parents send their kids off to camp, but I know that's different. That's still domestic most of the time, but and there's more supervision. But um, I feel that, that that's just a little too young. Um, maybe another alternative would be for the uh, the parents and the, the child or tween themselves just going on a trip, an international trip, and doing like a volunteer or academic something, maybe, um, you know, uh, individualized, uh, you know, sort of like academic theme trip or something like that. But that's just my two cents. Thanks. Okay. So we got a Bay Area mom. She said it would be no, but she could maybe be, she would reconsider if the child really wanted to do this. Uh, Our caller five six four oh she said um no too young that's kind of far she assumes they'll have chaperones supervision of some sort but eh, that's that's a little young a little too impressionable for this sort of uh say far as in distance far trip uh as she was responding i was thinking my parents did let me go to Toronto on a trip when I was 15 overnight. We were there for about a week. Uh, now, we did not stay in a white person's house. A little different, quite different. But we did go to Toronto at 15. Uh, Disney World at 14. Now, that's not staying at a white person's house either. But so that's not quite the. But I was I was in my mind. I was thinking the distance from my house to Disney World is about the same as going out of the country. Then I said, oh, dang, we did go to Toronto. So either way, like 15 is not 13 either or 12. Uh, Let's see. Other attempted parents. We have any other folks want to give their input on this one? I was I I don't have I don't have children. That's one while I was kind of and I'm not really sure because. I also think 12, 13 is kind of young to be on the other side of the world. I mean, wow, that is kind of far. Like, I'm thinking if you end up in Germany, disease in Germany or France, something like that, Italy. Wow, Argentina even maybe, right? Like, that is really far. Wow. Something happened. Blah, blah, blah. Eh. If she wanted to do this. I might be, maybe I might be there with Bay Area Mom. I could reconsider if I do a lot of research on this and talk to these people and lots of conversations with my offspring, you know, Gabe, how responsible are they? How informed are they about racism? And we've kind of talked about what to do, you know, if this comes up, if it's some sort of sexual harassment or whatever, you know, who knows in the world of, you know, who knows? Um, I do support traveling. I had to think about that. It's, it's so, uh, Z's mom is Z's. Is she like, Hey man, I'm trying to go to Italy. Let's, let's get it cracking. Get, here's the permission slip. Let's go. This sounds great. Here's my form passport. Is she like gung ho? She wants to do this. I think initially she really was, but then I think when I brought up the prospect of, 
like having to prepare to you know live with white people for that amount of time and yeah like you were saying i mean this is a different country so they could just cut off the wi-fi and i can't interact with her right or things like that so those are the types of things that i try to bring up just so she has a full understanding so i think she's on the fence about it uh or not i don't want to i don't want to use the metaphor she's not certain about if she wants to go or not, but um, it's something that we're still working working on. But she is very excited at the idea of... I think one thing she's very excited about is that the school that she would be going to and um, where she's going, this, that type of school isn't actually like a very academic school. And what she told me is she just wants to be in an environment where other students are interested in learning <laughs> and she sees it as like that type of environment where she could actually learn a lot with other students who are more serious. I love it. I love it. That is <sighs> budding counter racist scholar. Um, hmm. It. This is one of the reasons I do not have offspring. I th- now it would break my heart. Metaphor: I would be really, really sad, extraordinarily sad. Um, it would bring tears to my eyes. I mean, you have a young person who is excited; they want to go try. And with that, she didn't say she wants to go and you know do the get a torque certification in Spain. <laughs> she said she wants to go and be around students who are serious about learning. I mean. Th- that too could bring tears to your eyes hearing that from a black child in 2023 man I would have to look her in the face and say man my brilliant black child (sighs) Bakari Henderson now he was 22 overseas exchange student didn't make it back home we would have to have very serious conversation like you know yes this is a phenomenal opportunity to I love traveling got my passport I love traveling you can learn so you can learn so much about racism white supremacy and other things too but traveling is great and traveling to be around scholars awesome white supremacy racism is global Bakari Henderson again he was 22 he didn't make it back home not saying no but we would have to have like probably several very serious conversations you know talking about scenarios if this happens you know even talking to the administrators what's the protocol if you are in a situation with the family where there is a problem where they're racist or child rapists both has that been an issue before even ask those type of questions have her you're really serious about this because hey you have to be by yourself so I mean this is some being an adult maybe you have to ask some of these questions and get answers that satisfy you because I'm not going to be able to I might be able to say that but I mean it's no guarantee you can get a flight to Spain 
at the drop of a dime or Argentina. You have to have your passport too. Like I said, they got a backlog. So if you don't have your passport as the parent, might not be an option even. Any Anybody else want to comment? Would you let your tweener, 12, 13, go to a white-dominated country two weeks, stay in a white household for a learning experience, new language, all of that good stuff? Would you let them do this? Think on it and let us know. You can drop an email to untiljustice at gmail.com. Definitely one to pine. It's so sad because that's such a noble, you know, request. Want to go learn and study, be scholarly, be around other scholars. Ye. System of racism. Global. Mm. <laughs> that's why I said it's, woof, brings tears to my eyes because that's, I feel like that's, uh, never supposed to crush the motivation of a child and I feel like that is if not crushing is certainly putting a damper on the motivations of a young person which is you know eesh. anyway uh, other folks who dialed in if you have commentary to share star 6-1 proceed have our caller at the courthouse. I think we missed him if he's there. Uh, and then if anybody else, I'll keep an eye on the switchboard if you'll have commentary. Do not wait till the last minute if you all have commentary, questions you want to add in. or maybe pondering. I'll give them a second, see if they get their final thoughts and such together. Uh, Again, we'll be here tomorrow. Compensatory call in 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Man, quite a bit to discuss this week as well. I guess this is like the first official week of spring, I reckon. Uh, It was 60 degrees twice here in Seattle this week. It was spectacular. uh, Oh, my goodness. I had to go and get my... uh, get my hammock had packed that up and everything since it'd been all cold and what have you but ah, get back to the uh beach the trees are budding as they had started a month ago like man spring time so thankful get outside and get some and that's one thing you can do if you're stressed about your work environment as the temperatures start to lift a little bit hopefully wherever you happen to be at Get outside, get some fresh air, get some sunlight that is so healthy, not being cooped up inside and just sulking, being upset uh, about all the different ways that white people terrorize us. Get outside, get your body moving. That can be really helpful. Uh, A much more healthy way to detox than cigarettes, beer, tequila, cannabis, Netflix, yelling at non-white people. 
those are some of the more popular alternatives that get encouraged frequently. Uh, let's see, our new parents, uh, non-Clemson grad and or Miss C, along with uh, the new daughter, should be with us as well. Good evening, Gus. Good evening, Charles listeners. Yes, we're all here. <laughs> we are all here. Um, I have something to report that just happened today. Um, so I'm assuming the person I was talking to was a white woman, and I looked it up, um, researched her name, and sure enough, white woman. But I think based on, like, her maybe phone contact icon, um, it kind of shows up like two um, non-white little boys. Um, So I'm assuming that this is an older white woman and these may be her non-white tragic, um, tragic a lot of grandchildren. Um, But I'll, I'll see, I'll see next week uh, if this is correct. But this woman, um, she booked a dance lesson, a single dance lesson, um, but an extended dance lesson for her and her son. Her son is getting married in Colorado um, sometime in June, and they they only have um, April Fool's Day to to learn how to dance together. And so she sent me um, a whole bunch of information about what they're looking for. They have a live band, you know, which is very costly, um, and they have three songs. And two two of the songs I've heard before, and they're very popular, uh, mother-son dances. The other one um, I had never heard. But one of the songs that they were trying to narrow it down between was My Wish by Rascal Flatts. And then I'll Always Love My Mama by The Intruders. The Intruders are a an all-black male band um, or non-white male band. And they have this song called I'll Always Love My Mama. And this lady was, I guess, a little reluctant um, about that song. Her son liked liked the song, but she didn't like it as much. She liked the Rascal Flat song. Um, And then she told me why she didn't particularly like the I'll Always Love My Mama song. And she's like, I don't really like the very first paragraph or verse. Um, and she pulls up the lyrics and she starts reading them off and I pull them up on my device as well. And it goes like this. Sometimes I feel so bad when I think of all the things I used to do, how mama used to clean somebody else's house just to buy me a pair of new shoes. (laughs) And this, and this white woman, you know, she's, She's telling me this, and I'm I'm just like, oh, this is interesting. You know, it's an all black group. Um, maybe maybe they wrote the song, and maybe it was about one of their moms who actually did this. You know, um, who cleaned houses for I'm guessing white people, <laughs> affluent white people, to be able to afford uh, shoes for their non-white black male child. And she didn't particularly like this, and she was asking either the band if if they would perform it live, if they could remove that particular verse, or if I end up mixing, like remixing the music, if I would remove it. 
and generally speaking, it's really easy to um, splice music. Generally speaking, like music follows a um, a pattern, and you can you can splice together, um, remove an entire verse, uh, remove entire courses. You can um, remove maybe the second half of the verse like we would in this particular instance. And so I was reassuring her, like, oh, yeah, we can remove that. But I just thought that was particularly interesting that she didn't identify with the with the non-white black male um, version of his wonderful mother. And she wanted that removed. And with that, I will end my share. Hey, your mother, your mother. It's, it's not a workplace. Mm-hmm. The workplace of parenting. And to get out of it, it's starts with one Oh, I was confused. I didn't know if they were sharing or fun. Much obliged. Oh, yes, we can. I was confused. I, I was going to share one more. Oh, yes, sir. Go ahead. I was going to share one more story as well. Um, this happened actually this past week. So now our daughter is uh, a little less than two months old, smiling a whole bunch, which is fantastic. Um, so Missy, her uh, mother and uh, brother visited us for a week to be, uh, get to meet the new baby. Um, and for the most part, it went just fine. Um, but, um, as you know, Misty has a, uh, white mother. And, um, during the, um, week while she was here, one of the things she was doing, you know, trying to get the baby to smile, she would make, uh, monkey noises or to try to get the baby to smile. The baby already smiles a lot by herself, but she kept making monkey noises just to try to get the baby to smile. And um, this happened to me without Miss C being around, and this happened to Miss C while I wasn't around. I brought it up to Miss C, and she, of course, told me that the same thing happened when um, around her. So we both decided the next time we, you know, see this kind of thing happen, we we obviously need to check um, the grandmother. But along those lines, um, which I did, I told her, I said, we're not at the zoo. We're not in the Zoom. <laughs> um, and then um, I did hear your question earlier about would you allow your um, your offspring to go into a foreign exchange program? That's a really tough one because the experience and opportunity is an amazing thing. Um, several years ago when we first moved to South Carolina, we did meet a black woman who did a foreign exchange program where she had an Asian kid come into her house. Now, she didn't send her daughter off to an Asian country, but she did take care of this Asian kid for a couple of weeks along with her own biological daughter. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't remember the name of that woman. I, um, oh, don't know if we have a, her contact information, but I, it'd be a hard thing to do a hard no um, with something like that. It's, in my opinion, something worth considering, but I do understand the apprehensiveness, apprehensiveness especially considering the fact that white people might be involved. And, of course, if you let your kid go in their presence, um, there's far too many stories of black children ending up dead with no reasonable explanation. And with that, I'll be my line. Mm. 
We are not at the zoo. Indeed. Now, for reals, that is another reason I do not have offspring. Now, I mean, she's not even two months. That's how we started the program in Canada, no less. Enforcement officers said he tried to stop them from harassing, sexually harassing female co-workers and they start calling him a monkey she's been on the planet less than two months monkey noises what the world (laughs) what the world like whoo man and to even I would be so disgusted to even have to think that way like is this race are you making System of white supremacy racism. Monkeys. Planet of the apes, man. Neely Fuller said that, man. That's, that is how they see us. And slowly, that is how we are trained to see each other. She said, Z reported that too. That was in there with the hard R and everything else. <sighs> Hardest job in the world and I'm kind of I cannot be lost on that because I played that intruder song like that song specifically I'll always love my mama on the compensatory call in when they have reports about racism impacting black mothers if there's something specific about that that's where I'll play it at but I play that all the time and I mean are you flipping serious I said that word boulderize that's how I know what that term means that Bing. That is a perfect example right there. We have to boulderize one of the intruders classic tunes. Statement of truth. Isn't that the help? You all sat out and went and watched that in droves. Said that's one of the best films ever. That's the help, right? We're not talking about busting a cap in somebody. Nigger this and nigger that of that. I'm saying apologetic like dang I'm out here begging for these Jordans and she's got to go to some white woman's house and slave and you don't think your black boys would relate to that you don't think that's another one I would submit white people are not ignorant about racism white supremacy if she was she wouldn't have asked for that portion of the song to be edited. The Help. Wonder if she's read The Help. I'll put 50 bucks that she has read it and or seen the movie. Uh, anybody? We missed our caller at the courthouse. Anybody else? Uh, commentary they wanted to get in before we wrap up. Yes, sir. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Caller at the courthouse. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to just the host, the listeners and callers. Um, I I don't have any children, uh, so I wouldn't know how to answer the question about uh, having your child or offspring go to another uh, country. Um, I just have this, uh, 
few reports I'd like to share. Um, there was a Facebook post of one of the white women from the gang, well, two of them, and she was trying to scoop up a bat in a plastic cup in the stairway. So, uh, you know, just the things that they do are, are just at times disturbing. Um, and another one was where the same one posted, my head hurts, I think my horns are coming through. Um, there was a a victim of racism that came in and I helped research a land patent. I think it was a land patent and it had 40 acres on the, um, on the deed on a warranty deed on one of her ancestors. Um, and another person said 40 acres in the mule. Uh, and another person commented on it, the person all the way from Brazil it's like, oh, oh, okay, is that where, <laughs> is that where that phrase came from? And the supervisor or the manager said, yes. Uh, so I, I pretty much helped find this in the ancient records. It's from 1911, March 23rd, 1911. So it's in cursive, writing and everything. So it's a very old record. Um, my uh my last one I wanted to really I wanted to share really quick is I had a victim of racism and I've spoken about this person, uh Terrell Bradley. Uh he came in to get a, a copy. And I said, I know I heard this name somewhere. So uh the victim definitely is I and I just felt bad. Um, he he only has one working eye because of the race soldiers attacking him with the K-9 unit. Um, but, you know, I was very courteous to him. We had a nice exchange. Uh, and other than that, that's pretty much all I had to share this week and that's my report. Thanks for allowing me to share. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bradley, in addition to losing an eye, $250,000 in medical debt as a result of being mauled by Gainesville's canine unit. Black male privilege. Uh, jeez, yeah. Compassion, that's about all you can do. Tell him, uh, don't linger in here too long, Rag Brother, because they will press the panic button. Um, let's see. The, all that social, just, I take all that as a reminder. When these white people get on social media, they can say whatever they want to, post all their crazy images and, and self-identify as Satan, apparently, or at least someone close to him. Man, you cannot do that. Talking about us, non-white people, victims of racism. We can't do that. 
don't think you can just go and post, you know, whatever you want on social media, like forever, because they like to go back and see what you posted when you were in kindergarten and all this other stuff and get you in trouble. I've said consistently, shouldn't even be on social media because just like he's doing, going and seeing what they're posting, talking about and all that, and then you take screenshots if they're doing all this, they could be doing the same thing about us. Frequently are looking to see, oh, we Black Lives Matter or did something, what? Be very mindful. Like I said, I wouldn't even have social media. It certainly wouldn't be uh, under my name unless you need it for your you know, job type thing. I wouldn't be following my friends or excuse me. I would not be following people that I work with, white or non-white. Uh, let's say you can do some recon, snoop on their page, see what they're up to. Uh, let's see. The... All about the I said the ancient records where they get to make all their little cute jokes forty that's another one too. The people that are in charge of ancient records so they know all the history of how they stole all the land in Florida and way before Rosewood and all of that. That's white people. I don't think uh the the Negros before they got terrorized in Rosewood, I don't think they set up that uh the archives in Gainesville, North Florida or other places. I don't think that's the case. It's white people generally that are in charge of all of that. Unless I'm you know, mistaken. Um, incidentally, with that uh, record that he just mentioned, the March uh, 23, 1911 record for this 40 acres and all that, it's written in cursive. Uh, I just saw a more recent report going back to education where they said because they don't teach cursive anymore. It's not a part of the core standards. So many, many classes, they've not taught cursive for about a generation. I think they said for quite some time anyway. So you have. A lot of younger people, they can't read cursive, which means they would really struggle. Something like that. This was being pointed out as a part of white supremacy racism and how you will have a lot of younger people. They will not be able to go. And if they ever get the inkling, hey, I want to search my uh, family tree, as they say, find out, you know, as much as I can about my ancestors and all of that. Sometimes you might have to get those old dusty moldy documents like that, that are written in cursive and oops, now you are illiterate. Just one to ponder since we had so much talk about schools and teachers and all of that uh, school and learning is so important. Anywho, uh, we did our three hours. Uh, we'll be here tomorrow. Neutral or excuse me, compensatory call in same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Certainly, given what we heard from Z, if we have any, as I said, younger folks interested in sharing how COVID-19 has impacted you, school and otherwise. Let me know until justice at gmail dot com. We will make it happen as a program. But certainly, given what we heard from Z, sobriety would be best. We do not want to be contributing to 12, 13-year-olds having a vaping addiction. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice 
immediately. No name calling, no gossiping, no throwaway offspring. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.